This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, you knew that Damian Lillard would be traded, and I knew that Damian Lillard would be traded, but still today, even as he gets traded, as we all expected, I'm left feeling a little flat. Flat in part because we're watching a generational player in the Trailblazers history move on to somewhere else. Flat in part because... I'm watching, uh, you know, another small market, Milwaukee, celebrate the arrival of a star player, proving it can be done. We've wondered, haven't we, in Portland? But I'm just left in general, despite knowing what was going to happen, feeling a little bit somber about the departure of Damian Lillard. Was the problem in Portland management and ownership? I suspect it is. We'll soon find out because Damian Lillard is going somewhere else. And he's joining a team that is more than capable of competing for an NBA championship. If he breaks through, if there's a parade in Milwaukee, if fans uh, in Milwaukee get to have confetti dropping, winning a conference finals, winning an NBA finals... I'll be left thinking that should have and could have happened in Portland if circumstances had been different. If the Blazers organization had better ownership or ownership at all, I think they would have sniffed around a championship or at least sniffed around the NBA Finals. Because when you look at the totality of Damian Lillard's contributions in Portland, great offensive player, suspect defensive player, never won a game beyond the second round of the... uh, playoffs got to one western conference finals blazers got shut out in that finals it's kind of a shame when you look at that as the end result for all the money for all the hopes for all the dreams for all the summers and all the promises that all the blazers got out of the lillard era was a trip to the western conference finals where it got punched in the mouth to damian lillard i say good luck To the Trailblazers, who I think got a pretty fair deal, a nice deal out of the Lillard trade, I say please do better. Chauncey Billups, Blazers coach, he finally has a team to call his own. It's not Damian Lillard's team. This will be Chauncey Billups' team and his roster moving forward. It's a better defensive team. But I can't help but wonder if what we're watching now is an experiment of some kind. Remember, every summer... I went, well, can the Blazers add the piece that will help put them over the top? Will it get them closer to getting Damian Lillard and this franchise into the conference finals? And will they compete for an NBA championship in summer after summer? Like a rite of passage in Portland, we all watched the opportunity of window open and then close, and nothing happened. You know, Giannis gets Damian Lillard. Lillard gets Giannis. Is the problem the Blazers' ownership – 
Or will Damian Lillard have a difficult time playing alongside another player who needs the ball? I wondered that in the 2020 Olympics as Lillard competed alongside other teammates and he was the fourth leading scorer on the Team USA roster and shot only 38% from the floor, seemed to struggle at times. Maybe some of it was the international style of play or maybe some of it was Damian Lillard struggling to do what he'd never done, play alongside other NBA All-Stars. I think we're going to find that out in this experiment that is the Milwaukee Bucks and Damian Lillard. A whole lot of money, a whole lot of commitment. And again, I'm left thinking in the end, you knew it was happening. I knew it was happening. Everybody knew he was going to be traded at some point, whether it was before the season or early in the season or at the February trade deadline, it was going to happen. So why am I left today feeling a little bit somber? Well, it's because the opportunity that we are seeing play out, all that hope and joy in Milwaukee today, oh, they got an all-star, small market, right? Oh, they got a chance to win. All that could have belonged to Portland. I want your phone calls today. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want you to weigh in. Tell me what you make of the deal. Do you like it? The Blazers trading Damian Lillard. Three-team trade. You got the Milwaukee Bucks. You got the Phoenix Suns involved. Uh, Clearly, they get better defensively. I think they, you know, got some assets in, you know, got a couple of pick swaps, got a first-round pick, have an opportunity to trade maybe Drew Holiday for other picks, I mean, I think, you know, if you are Joe Cronin, the Blazers GM, you're not done here. But uh, Lillard wanted to go to Miami, and they sent him to Milwaukee. He's putting away the swim trunks, taking out the parka, so to speak. But I want to know what you make of it. Does it work out for Lillard? Does it work out for the Blazers? And when you look back on his time in Portland, are you like me a little bit? Are you left looking back with a little bit sullen, a little bit somber, going, damn, that's all they got out of that? The ceiling of the Damian Lillard era was the Blazers getting to the Western Conference Finals and getting swept. Like, they should have done better. They could have done better, but they didn't. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want your phone calls. Steven, what did you make of the deal? Yeah, my initial reaction was, first, I was happy for Dame to go to Milwaukee. Uh, I mean, basketball-wise... That's his best chance to win a championship. And with that trade, the Bucks are now the new betting favorites to win the championship. So Dame gets to play on that stage that he's always wanted to play on. It's the stage that we've all wanted to see Dame on. You know, the biggest of big stages. He's going to be on there playing with Giannis, you know, who's a top two player in the NBA. So you get to see Dame play with maybe the best, second best player in the NBA, which is something you wanted to see in Portland. Uh, but my second thought, John, was I had the same same reaction you did, a little bit of somberness because. I go back to earlier this summer. Giannis says, you know what? I love Milwaukee. I want to stay there, but you need to add pieces or I'm going to want to leave. That's how Dame was. Like, we all wanted pieces to be around Dame. Well, Giannis is 28 years old. Dame's 33. I wish Dame, when he was 28 years old, John, would have said the same thing to Portland and said, look, I love it here, but I need help. Because guess what? Five years ago, they just got swept by the New Orleans Pelicans. Had he put pressure on the Blazers at that time to make moves, maybe this could be Portland. Maybe this could be Portland trying to acquire Giannis Antetokounmpo. Maybe this could be Portland trying to acquire another star player to team with Dame. So I'm happy for Dame. He's going to have a chance to win a championship, a legitimate chance. I think the Bucs you know, should be the favorites, and they'll have their chance. But, man, it did make me feel a little sad. Like, 
I wish Dame would have put a little more pressure, been somewhat of the bad guy, and put a little better put a pressure on the Blazers to make a move. He didn't. This is how it resulted out. But I think the Blazers made out good on the trade. They got an unprotected draft pick in 2029. Uh, maybe the Bucks cannot be as good at that point. It could be a better pick. Hmm. They got the pick swaps. Because at that time, Dame's going to be 37 years old. Like It's going to be Giannis at 33, 34. Maybe the Bucks are on the downhill at that point. Maybe that's a better pick. But you flip Drew Holiday, get some picks. I think they got a good haul back for Dame. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. It, it was a little somber. I wish Dame would have been somewhat of the bad guy when he was 28 years old and put some pressure on the Blazers. I put some of it on him, but I put a lot of it on Neil Olshay, the former general manager of the team, who promised all summer that he was building around Lillard, doing his best. And, and, and look, I get it. It's unfortunate that Paul Allen passed away, and you know he has been gone from the equation. But I put some of this on Jody Allen and the estate, and you know she's the trustee of Trailblazers, Inc. This all went down. It transpired at a pivot point where there was nobody at the wheel. There was nobody at the helm, and Neil Olshay wasn't looking out for the Blazers. He wasn't looking out for the Blazer fans. He wasn't looking out for Damian Lillard. He was constructing a roster that was designed to keep him employed. Like, it's clear when you look at his transactions every summer, he wasn't he wasn't in this for the Blazers. He was trying to take calculated risks that were very small risks. He did not want to end up with a catastrophic situation that would cost him the job, and therefore he never went for it. It's a franchise that just tried to, you know, be the four seed. And, you know, maybe they get a favorable matchup and maybe they can get to the second round of the playoffs or maybe they can get to the Western Conference Finals. But they never went for it. And I'm watching the Milwaukee Bucks go for it. And I watch the Phoenix Suns go for it. You see so many other teams that go for it. And it's a shame that the Blazers never went for it. And I hope they learn from this or whoever buys the team when Jody finally lets it go. I hope they learn from it as well. Let's go to the phone lines. Maurice in Portland. Maurice, what's on your mind? Hey, John, a couple things real quick. My two main concerns with it all is when I look at what the Blazers were able to get back in return for sending Dane to uh, Milwaukee and sending Nurk to Phoenix, I wonder if they could have worked out something with Miami and got Phoenix involved and still got somewhat of a similar deal, you know, bringing Aiden in, sending Nurk to Phoenix, sending Dane to Miami, maybe get some more graphics than what we got. Um, and also at the same time keeping Dang happy, uh, staying true to him and all of that stuff. Because as Blazers fans, we really do love Dang. Second concern is with them not making sure that he made his way to Miami, which is where he wanted to go. I wonder if Dang um, will give us the directly treatment where he just kind of acts like, you know, Portland doesn't exist to him. Um, from what he posted, it seems like he's, 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 he still loves the fans and, and the city. But, um, you know, players always say the right things. And um, I just would hope that, because I know that he wanted to get that Drexler treatment where he got to go to where he wanted to go and get a ring where he wanted to get it at, and that's not what he got at all. And uh, so those are my two concerns. Is I'm, I'm concerned, I'm hoping that Dane, uh, when it's all said and done, he retires. I hope he retires the Blazer. I hope they retire his number. And I hope he still shows a lot of love to the fans in the city because we actually do adore him the same way we did Drexler and Brandon Roy, even though, you know, Drexler doesn't have anything to do with the city anymore or the fans. I hope Dan doesn't do that. Yeah, Maurice, I appreciate the phone call. One of the things I noticed right away is that uh, a lot of fans jumped online and bought tickets 
for the Trailblazers games against the Milwaukee Bucks. And the tickets on secondary websites soared in the minutes after the trade was announced. I had friends who were reaching out to me going, oh, I, I, my son tried to get tickets for the Blazers-Bucks games and the tickets just got, the prices got out of hand. And so I think there is a lot of love for Damian Lillard. And I think, you know, when you look at how he played the last five, six months, it frustrated me. Because he was cryptic with his tweets. He never really gave an interview where he gave a clear answer. It was clear behind the scenes he was using his agent to inform the Blazers he wanted out. You know, it's all, I find all of that annoying, right? But fans don't. I mean, fans who bought his jersey and cheered for him are going to remember the great times. They're going to cheer him when he comes back into the building, by and large. And I think there's a lot of people that are probably rooting for him to have success. I also think fans probably relate a little bit to the frustration of Damian Lillard because Blazer fans have been here. You've been here. You uh, have watched ownership. You're as frustrated as Lillard was with watching how things went down. Let's go to Matt, who's in Portland. That opens a line at 503-417-7575. Matt, go ahead. Hello. You're on. You got me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. It just, I think this is a good, all around a great thing for the Blazers. Um, and the future looks bright. Uh, it seems like the road to a championship or a conference title is all centered around having a big man. Uh, Denver, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, L.A., um, and we're moving off of Nurk. He left us wanting, and uh, hard to get a big man into this market. I'm just wondering on your thoughts on that. It's just, it's a new era, and we're not looking back, kind of like yeah, what I, you said yesterday. Yeah, I think clearly it's a new era, and the team needed to do it. It erases the cloud that Stevens talked about, the cloud that could potentially hang over training camp. Certainly media day on Monday of next week. The Blazers were busy trying to position media day in a way that would not leave them embarrassed or having to you know answer repeated questions about Lillard and his uncertainty, and so they kind of just put it behind them, which I think is a good thing. But um, giving up on Yusuf Nurkic, to me, it, that had to do with the ages of your players and where you are sort of in your rebuild. Like, you know, if you can't win in the next two seasons, win at a, at a big clip, you probably don't have room for Nurkic. And I, I have to think... You know, he'll never say it, but I have to think one of the most pleased people with all of this is Chauncey Billups. Stephen, can you look at the guys that, that, that the Blazers got in return for Lillard? Did they just, I mean, they got better defensively, clearly. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Ayton is a better player than Yusuf Nurkic, and he's a little overpaid. I will say that, you know, centers don't necessarily deserve that type of money, but he's a better player than Yusuf Nurkic, and especially on the defensive end, he's better than Nurk. Uh, you know, Drew Holiday, if he shows, if he suits up for the Blazers, there are reports that the Blazers are looking to flip him, but there's also a possibility where he's on the Blazers until the trade deadline to see what teams, you know, pop up and need a veteran guard. He is one of the best defensive guards in the NBA. So you look at just that type of thing, and, you know, I, I would say this. I think Damian Lillard is an unbelievable player, and he's probably better than Drew Holiday. But when Drew Holiday was at his peak and Dame was at his peak, I could argue Drew Holiday was better because he was a better defensive player and could also score 20 points a game. So that's how good of a defensive player he is. I don't think the Blazers are that terrible, and if they kept Drew Holiday, they could compete for a play-in spot. Not that that matters, not that that's what you want, but I think that the Blazers improved their defensive team. I mean, you look from last year, they've got rid of 
basically all their players. From 2019-2020, John, there's only one guy left on the team. That's Anthony Simons. They have completely replaced this entire roster, um, and now the Portland Trailblazers are looking to totally fix what they've done uh, in the past with different type of defensive players. So I'm with you. I think they it's a different direction, and they should be more exciting, more athletic, and we'll see if it works out. We'll see if Joe Cronin learned the learned the lessons that Neil O'Shea taught him how uh, you know how to build a team. Yeah, I also think you have a problem though. You have an organization that still does not have an owner, still doesn't have direction, and you've got some big decisions that this franchise is facing. Let's go to the phones. Mark is in Portland. The numbers five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Mark, how do you view this? I view this as I've I've I'm, I've been here since the Blazers started, and I figured it out. I mean, I can give you a whole team of guys. Okay, Bill Walton, the greatest player to ever play as a Blazer, had to go somewhere else to get his title, and I enjoyed watching him as a Celtic. He gave us that glimpse of how great he was for just a moment. And then Michael Thompson was pro- uh, uh, from out of Minnesota. Was They were going to build the team around him, and then he became a Laker a few years later, won back-to-back titles as the – Peace with Jabbar and Magic. That was a great team. And then uh, Clyde Drexler, they had to go to Houston to get his ring. He he got one of, probably the best center in the game and Akeem Olajuwon. So this is a test for Damon, and, and he can put uh, Rasheed Wallace was the missing piece for Detroit. That, that'll be five-star players that we had that had went elsewhere to get a championship. So I just gave you a starting lineup of guys. So I can't wait to watch game. They're the favorites to win now, 4-1. to one. So just like that, uh, they think he's going to make a difference. I think defense, the, your uh, assistant there was talking about defense. That's something Drexler could play and game, not so much. Yeah, I, I look too, and I wanna, I'm curious about this because, you know, as I'm writing my column today, and I wrote about it at johnconzano.com immediately after the trade was announced, I dropped what I was doing, and I started just kind of reacting to it. And one of my reactions was, Okay, yeah, the Blazers organization's been a problem. This marriage should have blossomed. It should have resulted in a team that competed for an NBA championship at some point in the last 11 years. It just didn't. They never got close. Western Conference Finals, getting swept by the Warriors is not close. They just never got there. And you could argue that there were some really good teams in the West that were in their way. But I think before we can get to that argument, we have to address the idea that the team did not do enough to put talent around Lillard. They just never went for it. They never took a risk. They never took a swing. They never made a big trade. They didn't didn't go for it. And uh, while that is 50% of the problem, I want to put some of this on Damian Lillard. I wondered over the years, as summers came and went, and nobody raised their hand and said, I want to come to Portland and play alongside Damian Lillard and win a championship. No free agents did that. I wondered over time if there was a problem with the way Lillard played, whether high-level NBA stars viewed Portland as a place that, hey, it's really nice, Dame's a good player, but, man, he has to have the ball all the time. And I kind of watched him as he tried to, uh, you know, play alongside other NBA stars in the 2020 Olympics and all the run-up to the Olympic Games and, he did struggle. He struggled to kind of find where he was, what his role was on teams. He struggled with shooting the ball, and it was blamed on international competition. But I kind of just wondered if he was really struggling with how do I play alongside other players who are as good or better than I am. And he's going to Milwaukee, 
And I'm going to say that a two-time MVP and an NBA champion in Giannis, that's a better player than Damian Lillard. And how will Damian Lillard react? How will he um, sort of, uh, you know, move into that scenario and that ecosystem smoothly? And will he be able to be the player that we know he can be on the offensive end of the floor if he doesn't have the ball in his hands? And we've seen him share with C.J. McCollum to an extent, Yusuf Nurkic to an extent, but now he's going to be sharing with a player who is absolutely his superior. He is not the most dominant offensive player on the floor, and he's got another guy with him who is a hell of a player. And so I kind of wonder how much pressure there will be for him to, to, you know, to fall in and kind of smoothly join the Bucks rotation, and I kind of wonder how that will go. Stephen, do you have thoughts on that? No, that's that's a perfect perfect way to put it because I'm fascinated by it. I've argued that Dame doesn't necessarily make his teammates better. He's a great offensive player for himself. Um, but he never makes other players better. Usually when he gets assists, it's just kind of like passing and then getting out of the way. He doesn't play off the ball. He's going to have to play off the ball with Milwaukee because Giannis, is, it's his team. He's the best player on the team. He's the second best player in the world behind Jokic. And even Chris Middleton, he hit the big shots in the NBA Finals. He's the guy that's been the closer for the Bucks. So it's not necessarily going to be Dame. Dame's going to have to change his game slightly. I think it'll work. I think he'll be fine. And I do think that pick and roll of Dame and Giannis could be unstoppable, but I am fascinated to see how Dame plays with other great players because he never had that chance in Portland. He never had to play where he was the second fiddle. He's always been the man. Even in his rookie year, he was the man getting the end shots at the end of the game. So I am fascinated by that, John. I think Dame can do it. Um, I don't know how effective he's going to be playing off the ball, but I think he can figure it out. He just never has had to do it in his career. He's going to have to learn how to do it if, they want, if the Bucks want to be successful. We're going to talk about this throughout today's show. We'll take more phone calls. Got a couple big guests today. Anthony Gold, wide receiver, Oregon State, will be joining us. Also, Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach, will be with us on the show. But I want your phone calls. We're going to talk all about what the Blazers might do next, Where, how far Lillard and Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks can go. Did Portland trade him to Milwaukee? Just because or because it was the best deal? We'll talk about that. All of that ahead. Aaron Goodwin, uh, Damian Lillard's agent, uh, firing a shot at the Blazers, saying it takes two teams to make a deal, mainly uh, insinuating that the Blazers did not want to trade him to Miami and grant his wish. We'll talk about it all. Leave it here. A big news day today. Damian Lillard traded Trailblazers star guard. He goes to the Milwaukee Bucks. Yusuf Nurkic. Part of the deal, three-team trade. Blazers uh, got some nice players, some good assets, uh, and also got some closure on an era. Oregon State has got a big home football game on Friday against Utah. Anthony Gould, wide receiver, Oregon State, joins us every week to talk about it, courtesy of Jamba. Life is better blended. I got to be honest, I tried the white gummy, and Anthony Gold is spitting truth when he says you need to give it a try. I said I would, and I did. But before we get to football, Anthony, I got to ask you, uh, Blazer fan or not, are you an NBA guy? Yeah, I watch a little bit of Hoop, but I'm not really a big Blazer fan. Um, I mean, I, I like Dame. You know, I, I played for Team Lillard 7-on, uh, so um, you know, I got some ties there. So I'm um, happy to see him go somewhere where, you know, he feels he, he feels happy. Hopefully, so um, yeah. Uh, but no, nah, it should be interesting. The Blazers got some some good pieces. 
So. May I, let me ask you about the the team Lillard seven on seven stuff. Like, you know, what was that experience like, or how was he ever visible, or is it just his team and name and and such? Oh yeah, you know, it's a, uh, it was a great great time being around that program. Um, you know, him with uh, as long as his brother Houston. Um, you know, they do they do a great job running that, and you know, he, he he's a busy guy, so you know, he's visible when he can when he can be. Um, but, you know, we all understand that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great family feel. You know, I definitely recommend it. If, you know, the, during the Portland area, you know, definitely go go try out for Team Lillard. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's a, that, they helped me a lot, you know, with Houston as well. So um, definitely recommend it. Anthony Gold with us. Oregon State, Friday night, you'll host Utah. Before we look forward, let's look back. How did that game at Washington State, in your mind, get away from you guys? Yeah, I think it just came down to, you know, lack of execution. Um, you know, how it really always plays out every week. You know, if you can't execute, then, you know, you're not going to win games. And, you know, there are plays we left out there, you know, offensively um, that I felt like, you know, it probably could have, you know, swung a little momentum and got some going for us. But, um, you know, you just got to, you know, live with it, um, you know, learn, learn from the tape and um, get ready for, for next week. And, you know, we got a good opponent this week with Utah, so, um, you know, you can't really dwell too much. You know, you got to learn from it and not make the same mistakes and go out there and just have a have a good week of practice and uh, make sure we execute this time. Anthony, the offense uh, with DJ Uangalele at quarterback, you guys got it going late in the game. What was different late in the game that maybe you could have used early? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I really just, just came down to, to execution, you know, uh, you know, running a little bit, um, simpler things in the tempo, getting the, get the tempo um, moving. Um, you know, I think that helped us. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think it, it really just came down to executing. You know, we scored 21 points in the fourth quarter, but, you know, unfortunately it wasn't enough. But, um, you know, it just shows, you know, if you, you can execute, you know, we can be a good offense and move the ball. So, you know, that's something we've harped on all week and, um you know, was really an emphasis in practice this this week. You guys uh, have watched film of Utah. They are a very good defensive team. What do they do well in your mind? Oh, yeah, I think, you know, they're just very physical. Um, you know, they're going out there and they're a physical team every play, you know, um, from D-line to the, to the back end. You know, they're, they're a physical team, and, um, you know, they want to make points hard to come by, and, um, that, that just goes to show how great of a defense they are and, uh, you know, how they're a well-coached team. So um, it, it should be a, it should be a, a tough battle uh, coming Friday. And, um, you know, we know that. Um, you know, they're always, they're always good defensively. Um, it's not just a, a one-year thing. You know, they're, they're always known for having a good defense, and um, they play hard. So, um, you know, it's made sure, we made sure we really, you know, locked in on executing this week and, just focusing on the, you know, one week at a time um, and coming out here and just uh, having fun Friday night flying around. You know, when you look at being a road team versus being a home team, we we obviously talk about fans and the stadium environment, but help us understand what else goes into it. When you're traveling, when you're on the road, when you're in a hotel, you're on a plane, you're away from your own locker room – you know, how different is that? You know, you guys went through it last week. Utah will go through it this week. 
How different is all that other stuff when it comes to playing a road game? Yeah, I mean, I think if, you know, your, your proper preparation and um, everything lines up, uh, it's not too much different. You know, the only thing that, you know, is really different for me is really just being in a hotel. Um, but other than that, you know, you're really only there for really not 24, not even 24 hours. Um, so it's just a, you know, usually a quick flight, meetings, you know, walk through, um, and just go home or go to the, up to the room, watch, watch the little tape, go to sleep. And, um, you know, it's just like that, it's, you know, you know, you're playing the game. So, um, it's not, it's not too bad, I would say for me, but the only difference I would say is probably the, definitely, definitely the hotel and, um, you know, some, some schools locker rooms super, super cramped. <laughs> uh, you'd, be, you'd be surprised for, for how big these universities are. Yeah. Um, but, you think they I mean, do it on purpose? Do. You think they do it on purpose? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, if I was, you know, if I, I was uh, building a stadium, I, I definitely would. Um, <laughs> definitely, you know, you just, just a little home field stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, you know, the fans, you know, you you live for those type of type of experiences. And, um, you know, we're, you know, we're a good team. So, um, you know, every week, if, if, you know, every week's a big game. You know, it doesn't matter who you're playing, if you're playing Utah or anyone else. So, um, it should be a, a fun battle coming in, and um, I'm glad it's at home. Um, you know, Risa will be rocking, so it should be a fun one. Yeah, it, when I've seen visiting locker rooms, like I think Colorado was complaining about Oregon's visiting locker room. It's pretty, bl- you know, it's pretty bland. It's pretty basic. Stanford, though, is pretty bad. I mean, Stanford, when you get in there, I've, I've looked at it's like these little adobe huts that are off uh, just outside the stadium. Um, in your mind, who has the worst visiting locker room? Ooh. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Maybe I shouldn't say worse. Well, I'll yeah. tell you who has the best. UCLA definitely has the best. UCLA has the best. Definitely. Wow. Definitely has the best, by the way. Opposing locker room definitely has the best. I Anthony Gold. Anthony Gold is with us, wide receiver, Oregon State. Very important that you guys get back uh, and, you know, get back in the win column. But, um, you know, you had uh, a hiccup last week. How do you feel this week, How, your week of practice coming off of a loss? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, you can't really can't really dwell on it. So, you know, move past it and, you know, we're ready to go out there and execute and get back, get things, you know, back on track and, um you know, just to prove to ourselves, you know, what what kind of team, what kind of offense we are. Um, you know, all great teams go through a little adversity, and, you know, this is just a test. And um, it'll be a great, great test for us. Um, you know, Utah's a great team. Um, so, like I said, I'm glad it's home. And I, I'm glad to, you know, play these type of games because, um, I mean, that's, that's what you wish for, you know, playing, playing Division One football is, playing good teams week in and week out, um, you know, just having that, that competitiveness, um, I think that's what makes the sport great. So um, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, uh, Risa rocking on, um, on Friday, and uh, we need to make sure it's loud. Yeah, a couple of years ago, you guys beat them there. You go to Utah last year. They beat you guys pretty good at Utah last year. So it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see how the home field factors in this thing. Anthony Gold is with us.
Um, I tried the white gummy drink at Jamba. You didn't lie, man. Solid. I told you. I wouldn't I wouldn't lead you in the wrong direction. <laughs> Me and everybody else listening. Um, hey, I appreciate you joining every week. I know that um, it's probably more fun to talk after wins than losses. You know, and I, but how does how does your body feel on a short week? I was asking Jonathan Smith about this, and he says, you know, Sunday turns into Monday, but normally you guys have a day off. How did you feel physically Sunday and Monday as you you, you realize, hey, we got to get moving around a little a day earlier this week? Oh yeah, um, I mean definitely a little sore, but you know that that wears off. Um, you know, but. But the short week, you know, you got to make sure you're going extra, extra hard with the uh, the treatment. Um, you know, we have a great training and, and strength staff, so uh, they have a dialed in on, you know, getting our body moving and making sure, you know, things are feeling as best as they can leading up to Friday. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a quick turnaround, but, um, you know, with the right people around you and, you know, the right preparation, um, you should always be ready. Anthony Gold, we'll see you. I will see you at the stadium on Friday. I appreciate you giving us some of your time. All right, man, we'll see you. Oh, yeah, definitely. There there he goes, Anthony Gold. Um, That segment brought to you by Jamba. Life is better blended. I hadn't thought about the seven-on-seven Lillard angle. You know, he's got his brother, Houston, who's been highly involved in the high school scene, training kids and working with kids and, uh, the impact uh, of a player who gets traded in a market. I do think it'll be interesting to see how the Blazers treat Media Day come Monday. You remember, they had already kind of planned to do a uh, uh, a Media Day that wasn't really a Media Day. There was going to be no one-on-one player availability. There was going to be um, uh, you know just a stage, and they were going to bring Joe Cronin, the GM, and they were going to bring Chauncey Billups, the coach, and... Yeah, they were going to bring the team president uh, up on the stage, and then they would bring select players up on the stage, and they, you know, made it very clear they did not want media trying to talk to players in other parts of the building. I think they can relax now because the player they didn't want people talking to is gone. He has been traded. Damian Lillard has been traded. If you're just waking up from a coma, I want your reaction to it. Will you root for him in Milwaukee? What do you make of it? Like me, are you a little bit somber, even though you know it was the right thing? I knew it was coming. We talked about it. He wasn't going to last beyond February in a Blazers uniform. I didn't know it would be Milwaukee. You probably didn't either. But I'm left feeling a little flat by it because I think this should have been a big day in the hopes and the excitement that Milwaukee, can you imagine what they're talking about in Milwaukee today? That should have belonged to you, Portland. Leave it here. The phone number, 503-417-7575. Damian Lillard's been traded. I want your reaction. 503-417-7575. Thumbs up, thumbs down. No in-between. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I say thumbs up. I do so uh, not smiling, though, because that excitement, that joy that Milwaukee is feeling today should have belonged to Portland. Blazers organization wasted Damian Lillard's window of opportunity. Do you think there's a sense of uh, just relief out of Blazer fans that this is finally over? Like we finally can move on to the next step? I don't know if it's relief. Really, I, I, relief I, I don't want to speak. Word. I don't want to speak for Blazer fans. I don't know if it's relief. I I think it's one of these things where I have found, and this is something that 
other people smarter than me figured out probably when they were younger. But I have found as I have aged that so much of how people feel about things pertains to their expectations, right? And it's why so much of the PR world is spent managing people's expectations. If your expectations were that the Blazers were going to get five first-round picks, today is a horrible day, right? But that wasn't the expectation because I think people realized when they saw how little Miami was offering that there was a real chance that the Blazers are going to walk away with not very much for a player that this city overvalued. But I think what you really mean is, like, this was hanging overhead. It was a cloud. A lot of Blazer fans had kind of come to grips with the era being over, like, months ago. And so there wasn't a big cathartic disappointment reaction today. It was more like, okay, that's done. Like, you went to the dentist and you sat in the chair and it's done. Now you can move on to the rest of your day. I kind of feel like that's yeah, what happened. It was because it was more of like a slow, painful death rather than a quick one, right? Because we knew about it for almost three months that he wanted out, and then it finally happened. We we're just getting you know little news here and there, but yeah, it, it's it's weird because I'm the same way. Like I'm glad it's over because now we can look forward to Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharper. Like those guys are going to be exciting to watch play. Like I can't wait. I can't wait for the season. I'm excited to watch Dame play in Milwaukee. I'm excited to watch uh, these young Trailblazers. Let's go to the phone lines, 503-417-7575, one line open. Let's go to Gerald, who's in Portland. Gerald, what's up? Hey, uh, I'm pretty excited about the new move. I'm a lifelong Blazer fan, and it's time to move on and heal. Dane brought us a lot of good memories, so it's time to see what these young guys got to do for us. Will you root for Lillard? Of course. Yeah, man, it's good to see see him uh, move on, and hopefully, you know, I I don't want to see him win a ship because I want to see us win a ship, but <laughs> good luck, Dame. Thanks root, for all the mess. Yeah. You root, root for him for, to a certain extent. <laughs> you know, I, I think it was hard for Blazer fans. Remember when Rasheed Wallace got traded? Watershed moment. Blazers were moving forward. He went to Atlanta for like a blink, then on to Detroit. And, uh, you know, he's holding up a championship belt at the end of the season. I think that was really hard for Blazer fans to see that, in part because – of the Western Conference Finals and the blown lead against the Lakers and how close that Portland bunch had got. I wonder if it'll be harder for the Blazers to see a small market team win a championship if Milwaukee holds the trophy at the end, or will it be hopeful in that, hey, if you draft a star player and you got ownership that will really go for it and try to build around that window of opportunity, and maybe it helped that Milwaukee got a title in 2021, you know, they, they've got some proof there that it can be done. Their next championship would be their third NBA championship. Like, I, I just kind of wonder from that standpoint. Like, I'm rooting for the Bucks. Like, I find it, I find the Bucks very likable. I find Giannis very likable, one of the better superstars, just kind of people in the NBA. So, like, it's easy for me to root for the Bucks and say, you know what? Like, I do wish this was Dame, but I kind of say, like, I kind of pictured as the Blazers, like, hey, you know what? Giannis wanted better players. They made a move. I wish the Blazers did this. Like, I can get down with that. I can cheer with that because I always will applaud a team for going all in and going for a championship. I think it's a great move. I think you got to do it when you have the chance. And Milwaukee did it. You know, they don't want to lose Giannis. And I think they got him locked in now. Like, I don't see any reason why he would want to leave. Stay in Portland. Let's go to Chad, who's called in. Chad, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, John? Love your show. Love uh, your program, Colin. You talk about Dame. I am happy. I got some perspective to share. I'm from Indiana, so I watched them 
you know, go with Reggie Miller for years and never win a championship. You know, they were close but never got it. So, I mean, today should be a happy day. We're young. And I just want to put some perspective back on the Bucks being a contender. Dame's 33, Middleton's 32, Portis is 28, Brooke is 35, Giannis is 28. I think they're lucky to be a 7 or 8. Everybody's saying they're going to win the championship. I don't know. He's reunited with Myers Leonard in Milwaukee. And uh, I'll take it offline saying uh, Jimmy Grape can go cry in his buckets with his sour grapes about an investigation into the Bucks. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Jimmy Butler saying that the NBA leads to look into the Bucks. Not, only, led, not only reunited yeah. with Myers Leonard, reunited with Terry Stotts, assistant coach yeah. of the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I thought it was interesting, too, that, um, you know, you've got – You've got Jimmy Butler saying, you know, if I, you didn't hear it from me, but the NBA should look into a thing. And I was like, Jimmy, I actually did just hear it from you. And you're the only person that I've heard say it. Uh, Steve in Salem. Steve, what do you got? Hey, John. Good to talk to you. Uh, first of all, we should all take a minute to thank Dame, not only one of our greatest players ever, but just a super great guy who gave to the community. It'll be a big, big loss to the community but I wish him nothing but the best. We're not going to win the championship this year, so I hope he does. And in terms of the draft picks, I got to think if DeAndre Ayton was on the draft board, he'd be a top five pick. So we, we effectively got a very good draft pick. I think it was a good move all around and uh, time for the Blazers to move forward and thank Dame for all that he brought to the community. Yeah, I think the next decision this franchise needs to make, and it's probably already made it behind closed doors, is, you know, are they keeping Drew Holiday or are they going to try to convert Holiday into multiple picks and, you know, get get enough out of him to justify and make this trade look really good? Because right now on paper, Blazers got some talent. Blazers got a first-round pick. They got some pick swaps in 29 and 30, which are 28 and 30, which could help. But, Stephen, that's the key, right? I mean, if... They can churn Drew Holiday into, because he doesn't fit their timeline either, if they can turn him into, you know, two draft picks or a first in something else, look out. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think that's that's the key to this trade. Like, I like the start that Portland has, but depending on what you get for Drew Holiday, if you get two picks for him, I think that's great. If you get a pick at a young player, I think that's a really win. That's a really big win for the Blazers on this trade because, you know, Drew Holiday is the type of player. He he has a player option next season where he can be a free agent. And there's been rumors that he wanted to retire after these couple of years, but who knows about that? You know, when you get that contract, it doesn't matter. But he wanted to stay in Milwaukee. But I do think there's going to be a market for him because he can play defense and he's done it before and he's proven it in the past that he is a championship level guard. So whether you keep him. At the start of the year, you look to deal him at the trade deadline, try to mentor Scoot a little bit. I think that's not the worst idea either. Like, worst-case scenario, you hold on to Drew Holiday. You have him help Scoot Henderson, have Scoot watch a true professional go about his business, a championship-level player go about his business. He's going to learn some things. Or you trade him at, you know before the season even starts, and you can get a pick back in two and get young players and you're really building for the future. It's a win-win all around with Drew Holiday, and I do think there's going to be some type of market. So it just depends on what Cronin can do at that point. Yeah, and I think if you are a Blazer fan, you you know, I'm hearing some optimism from Blazers fans, and maybe it's because fans, that's what fans do. And, you know, I I expressed early in the in this hour 
that, you know, I'm left feeling a little flat by it because I'm reminded that the Blazers didn't get enough. Didn't get enough out of Damian Lillard, not enough in the trade. They didn't get enough out of the era. But I want to I want to go back for a second and listen to some of the stuff that Lillard said. Um, you know, here he is in 2018 talking about the Blazers. Uh, I think just because this is where I started my career, um, you know, my family moved here and they, you know, it's a good living. You know, we like living here. Um, and it's not like, you know, I'm playing for a bad organization. You know, it's been a, a great organization to play for, a uh, great city to live in, great fans. Uh, we've had success. We haven't won a championship, but we've had a lot of success. You know, I think it's a lot of teams around the league that um, if they could, they would change places with us in the last six years as far as, you know, having success and not having success because only one team can win a championship every year. Um, and we, we working towards being in that position, but, uh, for me, I think the the loyalty part that's just who I am. You know, I I roll with who I roll with, and um, if I was to ever not get that loyalty in return, then I can live with that because I don't expect everybody to to be me. Uh, but that's just how I feel about the situation. There's Lillard talking about loyalty in 2018. Here he is two two seasons later in 2020. I feel like the the route. <laughs> the route that I had to get here makes it easy for me to just stay that way. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I didn't, when I committed to Weber state, it was time for me to go to school. And I was just like, I, I was like, I don't know if I really want to go to Utah. So I told my dad, like, man, I think I'd rather just go to St. Mary's and just stay at home. My dad was like, you told them you're going, you're going. And that was the end of the discussion. This, after my second year at Weber, I was MVP when I told you I went to Adidas and all that. A couple of schools started trying to go around my school to get me to transfer, a few bigger schools. And I never really wanted to do it, but I mentioned it to my dad. And he'd be like, no, we'd like, that's out. Give them my phone number. Like, we're not doing that. If an agent, if any agents call you while you're in school and all that, give them my number. Like, my dad... I think it's like the route in my upbringing, man. You know, anything other than loyalty ain't worth it, you know? Loyalty. Kyle Whittingham is next. What's a home field advantage worth? And by the way, what causes the home field advantage? Is it just the fans by themselves? Is it the travel? Is it the fact that you're not sleeping in your own bed the night before or two nights before the football game? Like, I look at the NFL and I kind of wonder, you know, what what is the... What is the actual home field advantage caused by? You know, a lot of people will point to the fans and say, oh, it's just having, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 people cheering on your behalf. You know, that is a, you know, big difference maker when you're in a stadium versus cheering against you. But I also have talked to players and athletes who, who talk about, you know, their routine, their ability to sleep and eat and be in a normal sort of flow during the week, how that gets disrupted by the travel. So what is it really about? That's a question I've been thinking about as Utah and Oregon State, this football game approaches on Friday. The Utes, the Beavers, two ranked teams, Research Stadium, 6 o'clock kickoff. And oh, by the way, this radio show will be live from Research Stadium, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Friday. We'll bring it all to you right from the stadium. So I want you to tune in Friday. But in the meantime, we've got Utah football coach Kyle Whittingham on the line. Coach, I've been talking about home field advantage. I want to bring you right into the conversation. What is it about? Is it the travel? Is it the crowd? Is it that you're out of rhythm, out of flow? 
What goes into home field advantage? As Oregon State has been very good at home, you guys have been great at home as well at Rice Eccles Stadium. Well, I think there's a number of things. Number one, you know, not having to travel. I mean, that's uh, particularly on a short week. I mean, and we're not making excuses at all. I'm just, I'm just saying that when you travel to a, a you know, a stadium, it's, it does put more. Uh, you know, just I don't want to say stress on the players, but it's different than just being at home and, and being in your normal situation. But but uh, and then secondly, obviously the fans and and I know Oregon State has had really good support this year. I think they've sold out uh, their first couple home games, and as have we. And so that's another factor is is getting the home crowd involved, making it difficult for your offense to to uh, function. Uh, you know, do you know with the noise levels? And so uh, I think yeah, those things probably are the the main contributors to uh, home field advantage yeah yeah everyone always thinks about the crowd but you're right like you know the travel when you are moving uh, a contingent that that's big i mean and it's you've got what 80 90 100 kids that you're worried about on a nightly basis and i've <laughs> yeah. i've seen you guys in hotels and i've seen the teams that come to salt lake city like i stayed in uh, usc's team hotel last time they visited you guys and it's a lot of logistics there's people running around all day long oh yeah it's a big operation when you when you talk about you know the whole travel party. I mean, you're approaching 200 people, and and uh, it is a big, uh, you know, a lot of moving parts, and and making sure you stay organized and and uh, efficient. How different is it for you, like when you go on vacation with your family, versus when you've got a travel party of 200? <laughs> Well, I, I got nine grandkids, and so that can be like herding cats on a vacation. You're chasing them through the airport, and and they're running up and down the airplane aisles, and so it's a. But it, it's all good. I love it. But uh, there are some similarities there. But but uh, you know, obviously the you know with the football, it's all business, and that's what we impress upon our guys is, hey, this is a business trip, and that's it. I mean, there's nothing more to it. You're going to try to win a football game, and, and don't let anything distract you from that. Last year, we took our three daughters, and we went to Hawaii for two weeks. And we're not that family. We're not that family who does like two weeks anywhere. Uh, where where do the Whittinghams vacation? Do you have like a spot you go to, or does it depend? Hawaii, without a doubt. We'll we'll go there nine times to every one other place. You know, it's uh, that's our go-to, and, and particularly Maui, uh, West Maui to be exact. And and uh, we did that same thing this past year. We took uh, the whole family. There was 18 of us, and uh, that was uh, that was a challenge. That was a challenge. But we had a big Airbnb and and uh, had a great time. You go to Mama's Fish House. Yeah, if you can get in. I mean, yeah. there's a six-month waiting list. Yeah, make that once in a while. Yeah, once in a while they'll have a cancellation or something. You can slide in, but needless to say, all 18 of us didn't go there. That one, no that kidding. wasn't happening. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, you guys, look, you've done a really good job over the years, not just this season, as a coaching staff, in kind of adjusting, adapting, MacGyvering it, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, when you don't have your QB and you're kind of putting together a game plan on a week-to-week -week basis like that – is that fun for you, that chess match, or that, you know, getting the duct tape out and trying to figure out how to, how to game plan this thing, or do you much prefer when you're at full strength, I guess? Oh, obviously you'd rather be at full strength, but uh, hardly anybody's at full strength right now, and and so you got to deal with your injuries and the guys you're missing, and and I do really enjoy the the chess match aspect of it. I mean, the, you know, the schematics and and uh, really, you know, not not only the schematics but the matchups. You know, making sure you got good matchups and and you uh, coordinate your personnel within the scheme because that's that's as important or more so than anything else as the matchups. It's more important than the coverages and the fronts. You know, making sure your matchups are uh, are sound. You guys have such depth and and great culture obviously 
how what kind of time does that take to develop? Because I'm looking at some of the programs across the conference going, you know, they just don't have the depth that you have, but it doesn't feel like the drop-off to your twos is a dramatic drop-off. Well, we feel like we've got our best roster since we uh, joined the Pac-12, which has been, what, 12 years or so. And so uh, a lot of hard work through recruiting, and, and that's really what college football is all about, it's recruiting. And we have a great uh, group of assistant coaches that, that have done a great job evaluating players and, and uh, you know, projecting. We, we've got to project here, and, you know, it's not where is the player now, where can we get him to in two or three years? You know, what, what kind of upside does he have? And, and uh, we've done, a, like I said, a good job of, of of, uh, evaluating that talent and, and uh, targeting the potential of athletes and and uh, and developing. I mean, you recruit, you develop, and you manage. That's that's one of our mantras. And so we recruit the raw material, the guys that uh, that can you know play at this level from a from a physical standpoint, then develop them because they're not all going to come ready made. And then make sure you manage them. You know, and that comes where culture comes in is is making sure that uh, everyone understands that you know the new guys come in our program, you will become us. We won't become you. And you got understand that and that's how we operate that, that's interesting to me so during that recruiting process if you get any sign that he's more i want you to be me do you back away from a kid like that yeah, we have we put a high premium on uh, the kid's attitude and culture, or not culture, but uh, character, and uh, making sure that he's a good fit for us. And and uh, we've turned away hun- literally hundreds of really good football players that we just didn't think were were good fits for our program. You ever look over and go, "Hey, I was wrong about that kid," or do you most, <laughs> mostly get him right? Well, absolutely, you're wrong a certain period of time. I don't know anybody that's 100% accurate in recruiting. In fact, you know, we have a, a, another adage here. If you can be right on two out of every three kids you bring into the program, if two of those kids end up being really good players for you, you're going to win championships. If, if you're right on one out of two, then you're going to be okay. And if you're one out of three, you're going to get fired. And so, uh, you know, with an 85-man roster, if you've got two out of every three guys in your program that's that's a, a player, then you got a really solid two deep and, and you can function. Oregon State, uh, you know, three and one this season. Ranked. Uh, this should be a big game, good game on Friday night. What do you see on film? Same thing we see on film every year with Oregon State. I mean, Jonathan Smith, I think, is an outstanding football coach, one of the best in the country. I've said that many times. Uh, offensively, it starts with their line. Their O line is as well coached as anybody in the country. They're physical. They're uh, they work in sync uh, as well as anybody. I mean, those those guys are really uh, have a lot of uh, continuity and and uh, they just play well. And and by you know attributed to coaching them. I mean, obviously, they're getting the right guys in there you know physically, but but they coach them up. They always have uh, you know at least one running back. This year they got a couple that are really hard nosed and, and uh, really get uh, north and south and then slam it up in there. Uh, DJ at quarterback, you know that was an, another addition for them. They got speed on the outside. They're not a really uh, you know big re- receiving core, but they got speed out there. And so so I, we see uh, pretty much what we've seen uh, ever since Jonathan arrived. Although he just keeps making the program better and better. You know last year they won ten games. Uh, defensively they're very active, very tough. Flight of the foot football, uh, aggressive, and so uh, not, not much difference from year to year. You, you see a lot, of, uh, a lot of the same good quality showing up. Do you look back, I know they beat you there two years ago, you beat them at your place last year. Do you go back and look at those games, or are you mostly focus on the personnel they have now? We look at everything that uh, is our, as our, at our disposal, and, and that is certainly uh, games that we've studied. We go back last year, you know, all their games. We break down, 
you know, in this day and age with with computers and how uh, readily available all the information is, where where you used to break down three or four games back in the old days when you're watching 16 millimeter film, now you can break down you know a dozen or more games and have them right there at your disposal. So we we do as much uh, you know breakdown as we feel is uh, applicable to uh, to helping us put the game plan together. How much self scouting do you do? A lot. That's a lot. You better know what the opponent knows about you. If you don't know about yourself what the opponent knows about yourself, then, then that's not a good thing. And so we, uh, we make sure we do that uh, continually throughout the season. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully that, you know, we can, uh, you know, again, know what they know. Because if you don't, uh, you're at a disadvantage. I have a lot of parents who reach out to me, Coach, and say, you know, hey, I've got a promising high school player or middle school player or Pop Warner player. And, they want advice, and they want to know, how do I get my kids seen? How do I get noticed? What do you tell people who's t who ask you that? Just put it on tape. I mean, play. Every, and tape is so readily available. Like I said, there's no. You used to be able to find, uh, you know, turn over rocks and find guys that nobody knew about and hidden gems and that type of thing. That that day and age is almost non-existent because because the huddle film and everything is so accessible. It used to take you weeks and weeks for a coach, a high school coach, to send you tape. You can get it, uh, you know, in, in two seconds. You dial up the computer and and you can watch the tape. And and my advice would be, you know, play hard every snap. You know, you, you know, because what you put on tape is who you are and if you're a guy that plays hard two or three plays and takes a player two off I mean that that's not going to help your cause so bottom line play hard you know play the game the way it's supposed to be played excel in the classroom I mean that's a big part of it as well obviously is making sure that that your your grades are up to snuff and and if you can do those two things they'll find you college recruiters will find you I'll cut you loose here after this one but Cam Rising um, you know I'm not going to ask you if he's going to play not going to play but how do you deal with sort of the rust element in making sure that he's fluid and where he needs to be versus healthy? Yeah, well, he's. Uh, first of all, we don't have an answer today. That's that's the honest truth. We don't know what uh, what his status is going to be. We're at the at the direction of the medical staff, and, and so we're we're uh, eagerly uh, awaiting that decision. Hopefully, it comes sooner rather than later. Uh, as far as the second part, the rust. I mean, he's been practicing full tilt for a few weeks now, and uh, so you know he's been doing a good job of getting the rust knocked off during practice. Now, it's not exactly like a game. We understand that. I mean, the speed of the game is is much different, but but we're doing everything we can to get him prepped so when he does step in, when that time does come, that uh, he'll be as ready as we can as we can make him. All right, Coach, I really appreciate your time. I will see you at the stadium. Thanks for always joining us and, uh, and popping on with us. You bet, John. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And there he goes, Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. No word on Cam Rising. I thought the travel stuff was interesting because, you know, anybody who's ever traveled knows, you know, there's a toll, there's an impact of regular travel, right? But... Teams are traveling via charter. They're staying in hotels. But I have seen, like, these teams as they travel and go into Pac-12 cities. It's logistically a nightmare in some ways because of the size of the travel party. They scout these things out months and months and months ahead of time. How do you feed all the people? How do you how do you house them? What do you do with all the uh, parents and stuff who are flying in and wanting to stay inside the team hotel and the distractions and all of that stuff that goes along with it? Uh, and I didn't think about what you do on a short week if you are Utah. Uh, we'll talk more about the Pac-12, and we'll give our Pac-12 picks coming up. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. So far, the show has uh, not included a reference to that pop singer who showed up at the NFL game the other day, and we're, we're going to try to keep it that way. 
I'm taking a cue from listeners who, you know, it, I'm just proving that I'm coachable by doing this, but I'm taking a cue from listeners who have suggested to me that if I talk about you-know-who, then I'm literally I'm lowering the bar for this radio show because they said if you talk about you-know-who, who showed up at the NFL game and is now probably wearing a Travis Kelsey jersey on tour, um, if you talk about that person and you let all those people who are non-sports fans into the conversation, we have to dumb down all of the conversation. We have to dumb it way down. Uh, Anna has popped into the studio. Anna, we're not going to talk about, you know, who. Okay? Okay? Damian Lillard? No, we're talking about him. <laughs> He's all right. <laughs> By the way, do you think the music scene in Milwaukee does anything for him like do you think he went like because he was thinking miami and he was thinking um he was thinking swim trunks yeah palm trees mm-hmm. you know i don't know what you think of when you think of miami i think of uh you know cro- i think of crockett and tubs yeah you know mm-hmm. i think of uh miami vice yep and instead he's getting uh a uh, a brat a beer and a parka <laughs> that's a little change of pace from what he had yeah. in mind well, that's what's happening. But I don't know what the music scene is in Milwaukee. I've been to Milwaukee. Yeah? It's a good town. I think Portland's a better city. Okay. I think he's he's going to miss Portland as a city. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, they've got a better basketball team in Milwaukee, clearly now. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but we'll see how this goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, what's your reaction in your circle as, as you meander the world today? <laughs> um, I think people are mostly happy for him like hey you know what you didn't get enough done for you here to put all the pieces in place for you to be a contender uh, in any shape or form um, with a team that could go places and so uh, I I think most of the people are happy for him they understand um, the trade but I think there's a sadness like you know he was here for so long and frankly, he did a lot in the community. Like, he was just showing up at Park Rose High School, my alma mater, and helping kids out and trying to, you know, motivate young people to stay on the right track. And so I think there was enough buy-in from him and connection to the community that there are a lot of us that are lamenting, like, gosh, you know, that's, for me personally, I'm lamenting, like, why didn't we do a better job of yes. building around him yep. and, and you know, getting a championship or at least being a contender. Your mom group's seeing it right. You know, that's that's the way to see it. Uh, we, we've talked about this before. We've got a family friend who lives right next door to Damian Lillard. And we visited their house. We've been over their house. I kind of watched the construction of his basketball facility happen. I've respected his privacy. I'm not, like, tweeting out videos of it or pictures of it, you know, but I've, you can't miss it, and people in that neighborhood can't miss it. It's this huge basketball facility that, you know, has got probably training facility attached to it, probably a music studio attached to it, um, you know, a whole bunch of things. They, they report that it's been just very quiet over there, mm-hmm. that there hasn't been a lot of Damian Lillard, there hasn't been any activity that it's just been quiet for months and that, you know, he's kind of doing his thing in other places right now. And I think it'll be interesting to see if he eventually comes back to Portland and makes this his home someday 
or if he really just kind of does check out now he's faced with selling a you know property that has got a basketball facility on it to a normal person it's not a house it's like a compound it's uh very kind of industrial looking and you know i think a lot of the blazers who uh, are trying to offload or who were trying to offload houses in the back had a tough time because they had kind of unusually large, expansive properties. Like, not everybody's in the market for something like that. Yeah, it's, it's you know, Hassan Whiteside did the same thing. Like, he came in, he spruced up his house, and then he put it, put it on the market. I don't know if Yusuf Nurkic did that as well. LaMarcus Aldridge did that. We've seen other players who have struggled to sell their homes after leaving the Blazers. Scotty Pippen took a bath on his house because he couldn't sell it. Like there just isn't a market for a six million dollar house, you know, it, for you know, with normal people. Like you have to sell it to another NBA player in order to get your money back out of it. Um, it it's um, it, it it also has a fence around it that, oddly, Stephen, is like eight or nine feet tall, and it's made to keep deer out. There is apparently a fear of deer over there. That's the uh, Buck slogan, fear of the deer. So I find that interesting <laughs> that he goes to Milwaukee where the slogan holds up. You know, that's kind of interesting to me. So Was that so a sign that, that he didn't want to go to Milwaukee? I don't know. Maybe that's why he – I actually, when the trade went down, did you notice this? Like there was a silence after it mm-hmm. where you expected a tweet from Lillard right away. And it was just kind of quiet. And then Jimmy Butler says, you know, conspiracy theory, the grassy knoll, look out. You didn't hear it from me. You know, there could be some collusion going on here. And then subsequently there's a tweet from a reporter at the Miami Herald who says that he spoke with Aaron Goodwin. And Aaron Goodwin is saying that, hey, they did everything they could. Takes two to tango, essentially pointing a finger at the Blazers, saying they went out of their way not to deal with the heat. Not to give him his wish, and um, then Lillard comes out and says, you know, he's, you know, not the casual fans, but for the other fans, he's gonna have a message for you shortly, and then, uh, and uh, you know, he, then he just says he's excited about Milwaukee, well, like onward to Milwaukee. I want to get your take on this because Mark Spears just tweeted out a little bit ago. He said, um, with Miami talks going nowhere, that Aaron Goodwin actually privately told the Bucks and Nets ten days ago that Dame would be interested in the deal there. And that the Raptors were a real contender to land Dame, but ultimately the Bucks got it done. Uh, so you know earlier, like you said, the Miami Miami people are saying that Aaron Goodwin just is thanking Pat Riley and th- they did all they could. But then he's going out and saying that Dame said it's okay to go to the Bucks or Nets. So, I, I, he's kind of he's just talking everywhere out of everywhere. Uh, but I think I think it, you know I think that's Aaron Goodwin wanting Aaron Goodwin to look good. Like hey, I helped facilitate this deal, right? Like. But doesn't he look bad? Because we all yes. know that it was the one place he wanted to go is Miami, and he couldn't get him there. Yeah, and so I think this is Aaron Goodwin trying to change, shift the narrative a little bit. We're seeing a lot of that. Like, th- this is not new. I imagine in the time of the caveman, whoever came up with the fire, there was some narrative changing in the background from some other caveman who said, yeah, that was my idea. You know, I <laughs> I, you know, I, I could have done that, too. I gave him all the tools. I knew, you know, I gave the, uh, I gave did the nobody, guy who Nobody actually, saw it, but I actually did yeah. it. I actually did that, yeah. But it's it's yeah. Aaron Goodwin's doing that. Your, your players will do it. Uh, well, the Washington president today gave an interview to John Wilner in which you know she's she's saying, you know, they never tried to bring the fifty million dollar deal 
to uh, ESPN, and then some other presidents refuted it in the same report. It's like everybody's pulling the CYA, let's change the story to make us look better in hindsight thing instead of just owning it. Like, you screwed up. The conference disintegrated. You played a role in it. Own it. You tried to get your client to Miami. It didn't happen. You got him to Milwaukee instead. Hey, own it. Like, it's okay. But I think Aaron Goodwin's worried about his next client, right? He's he's going out and go, he wants everybody else to know, hey, I this had my blessing. Well, and this wasn't the first time this has happened to Aaron Goodwin. He represents DeMar DeRozan, who got traded to San Antonio. He was not happy when he got traded to San Antonio in that deal for Kawhi Leonard. So this is not the first time Aaron Goodwin has failed his his a, or his uh, his his person to try to get him to where they want to go. I think it's, you know, the Blazers, I, I hope, did what was best for the Blazers. I hope this was not done out of spite. But I would understand, like, you know, when a player gives you a trade demand and says, here's the place, I'm going to give you a list of the places I want to go, and gives you one city, that's that's not a trade request. I mean, I was told this, John, in June before Dame's trade request. So uh, I was told that the Blazers already had said, like, if Dame requests a trade, I don't want to deal with Miami. Like, they don't want to do that. Like, I was told that. So it makes a lot of sense if that was actually true that they just didn't want to deal into Miami because I feel like if you trade him there, you're going to get the, the media and everybody's going to say you got the bad end of the deal because Pat Riley is such a genius. He knows what he's doing. So it goes to your point of Burton, and Jody and Joe Cronin don't want to look dumb to the media, to the fans. And so they just were not going to deal with Pat Riley. They're no different than Aaron Goodwin. They're just not as used to it. And I think that, that it's been interesting to kind of watch them operate I have limited faith in Blazers ownership, right? But I, this deal to me looks like a good deal for the Blazers. Looks like they got enough. Looks like they got uh, a player in Drew Holiday that they can parlay into additional picks. Um, looks like they uh, they have done okay by their future. And so, if you're a Blazer fan, I, I think on one hand you got to have a big thumbs up for this trade. Like if you're sitting back, you're watching, you're evaluating. What did they get for a player who wanted out? I think you give it a thumbs up because this was not a fire sale. They did not take pennies on the dollar. I think they got enough. And and Chauncey Billups, as a coach, I think he has to give it a thumbs up because he's looking at the next season. His job is on the line. He's got to coach the team. The last thing he wants is to go out and win 21 games. And now he's got some players that make them better and also whose ages kind of lined up line up better. So I, th- I think he's got a locker room outside of Drew Holiday that, that he can all go, hey, I got some guys in their 20s that all kind of line up together and I can I can work with this so now let's see if Chauncey Billups can coach uh, and if you're a Damian Lillard fan you still win because he's going to Milwaukee he's going to have a chance to try to win a championship and he's got Giannis there who is a better player than Damian Lillard he's a two-time MVP and he's a world champion already and you know he's a better player and I think the the, the narrative on Lillard even holds up because the last thing he wanted to do was go somewhere like where he was just an additive piece that really didn't put somebody over the top. The fact that Milwaukee didn't win the championship last year gives you that ability for him to save face and go, hey, you know, if they win a championship, it'll people will still say, hey, Damian Lillard was part of why they won that championship. They're not going to treat him like Kevin Durant in Golden State. Does his departure, and I'll ask the two of you, does his departure create a space now for somebody who is already on the Blazers roster to step up and really shine and become a leader? It's For me, it's Scoot Henderson. Like He, he has the, char- the charisma to do that, and, I, and he's already talked about how he wants to be the best. He wants to be a leader. 
uh, you know, he's played professionally in the G League for two seasons, having to deal with grown adults. Like, I, I think he's the guy. I don't know that Shane Schreiber necessarily is that personality, but it's Scoot Henderson for me. And I think he can really get the fan base going and embrace it, and they'll embrace him because he's an exciting player to watch. So, yeah, I think it does open it up. And it's just, it's a completely new era. Like, we just, we closed the book on this last era because, you know, like I said earlier, like, you look at the team, the roster three years ago, the only guy left is Anthony Simons. And it seems like he's probably going to be on the way out because you can't have him and Scoot and Shaden Sharp all on the same team. And Scoot's the guy with the charisma, so I think Scoot's really going to, you know, grab, you know, grab it by the uh, the uh, horn, the bull by the horns. Yeah, that's it. And that's, uh, the, one. that's the one. And uh, really go with it. The lack of ownership, in my mind, has just left the franchise so rudderless that it what they were doing didn't make sense. Right, right. You know, they go into the free agency and they make a signing that doesn't line up with. Lillard's timeline and they tell Lillard or and they tell the world we're building around Damian Lillard and then months later they pick Scoot Henderson in the draft like does none of it was making any sense and so today I think they got some direction and Anna to your question I think yes there's a whole bunch of young players now who have opportunities there's one basketball there isn't a guy who's going to shoot all the shots who's on the roster and need the ball so much um, I am curious to see how Giannis and Damian Lillard will share because, uh, as Stephen pointed out earlier, Damian Lillard has never really made players around him better. He just sort of gets his, and everybody enjoys the show. And so I think it'll be interesting to see, can he be can he be Robin, you know, in Batman and Robin? Because that's what he's going to be in Milwaukee. He's going to be Robin. And I always felt like that's kind of what the Blazers needed. They needed that other player to compliment him, and I felt like C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard were a little bit like Robin and Robin, <laughs> and and now it is Batman and Robin in, in Milwaukee, but, and so I, I think you get an opportunity there. And to your point, John, it's a he's the clear Robin. Like, there is no question that Giannis is the better player. Giannis is the face of that franchise, so he has to fall in line to what Giannis wants. Not you know He has no say in that. Is that going to be hard for him? It's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, he's been the man wherever he went. I mean, you think about it. Weber State, like, he's the man. He 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 runs that team. He runs that program. He comes to the Blazers. Even though LaMarcus was here, it was like Dane kind of took it, and it was his team from the get-go. It's got to be different because, he, you know, and on the court, he's never played off the ball. He's never had to. His whole career, go back to Weber State, to high school, he doesn't play off the ball. He has the ball in his hands because he's always the best player. Well, guess what? He's not the best player anymore. He's going to have to change his game somewhat. I think he's good enough, and I think he'll adapt to it, but it's a legitimate question that you can ask, and I can't wait to see it. Let's go back and listen to what Damian Lillard said just uh, in March. He was talking about ring culture in the NBA. I enjoy the uh, the bonding part of it. Like We spend more time with each other than anybody, but now it's like that don't count. Regular season don't count. Get a ring. You know what I'm saying? Like, who? This guy's the MVP. This guy did this. He the first. It's like, bro, what Like, what is this stuff? Like, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, I and I don't want this ain't even I don't want to make it about my situation. But I was talking after a game like a week ago and I was just like, they're asking me about Dame, but like to win a ring. And, and I'm like, bro, I don't need to prove to y'all that I want to win a ring. Why the hell do I play like? I don't need to prove that to y'all, but we cannot keep acting like, while I understand we play to win championships, we all want to win the championship. We can't keep acting like nothing matters, like the rest of the stuff, the journey doesn't matter. We can't. 
he's saying something there that doesn't line up with where he ended up. You know, he ends up in a position where he very much says, the ring really mattered to me. A chance to win a championship mattered to me. That's why he raised his hand and asked out. And I'm not saying that's wrong. A lot of players do that. But I do have, like, I, I listened to what he said in 2020, 2022, about loyalty, and he was never going to be that guy to join another team. Guess what? He is. He's that guy, and he showed more loyalty than most NBA players do by staying in Portland. But I think in the end, he's still an NBA player, wants to win a championship, and he knows he can't do it in Portland. And so he's going. Yeah, I mean, that sounded like somebody who was in the position that he was, had wrapped his head around it, and wanted us all to be like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. He's okay. This is what it is for now. And it just, it really kind of makes me wonder, like, what were the factors in the last year that changed things for him? Because that was a much different tune. I want to play some reaction nationally. Here's Bobby Marks reacting to the trade of Damian Lillard, giving it an incomplete grade. And certainly now the big question is what happens with Drew Holiday? Uh, the likelihood is that he will not be in Portland next year. He is a has a player option for next offseason, one of the, the premier free agents next year. And I think we give Portland right now kind of an incomplete. Mm. What does Drew Holiday turn into? Can it turn into multiple first-round picks? Can it turn into multiple young players? Because where Drew Holiday is at this point in his career, he does not align with this young Portland roster. Doesn't line up. Uh, he's saying give it an incomplete until you see the end of the trade. Um, here we go. Uh, here we go with Stephen A. Smith. His reaction to Damian Lillard being traded. Uh, it's with mixed emotions, obviously, because I've known him for years, and I know that's not where he wanted to go. It certainly was on his list of second or third choices, but it clearly was not his first choice. He wanted to be in Miami with the Heat. He wanted to be a teammate of Jimmy Butler. He wanted to be a player being coached under Eric Spolster um, and run by the Pat, by Pat Riley himself. That is where he wanted to be. He certainly wasn't thinking about going to Milwaukee. That's not a place that he wanted to go, uh, but he'll make the necessary adjustment, uh, adjustments and do what he has to do because from a basketball perspective, it is an ideal fit. Uh, certainly, we can't blame the Milwaukee Bucks for making the deal. You want to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo happy. You want to keep him in Milwaukee for years to come. The only way to do that was by making sure that he had the tools necessary to legitimately compete for an NBA championship in his eyes and acquiring Damian Lillard to join the rest of that crew certainly pulls that off. There is Stephen A. Smith talking about uh, the trade of Damian Lillard. Let's Span the globe here. Let's go to Dan Lebetard, based in Miami, but does a national show. After, what is it, a decade or 12 years of total player empowerment? Damian Lillard is the crossroads on, no, we will not respect your power, your leverage, and your relationship with our city. You want to leave? Okay. You don't get to choose where it is you go. We're gonna. You want to go to Miami? We're going to send you to something close to the opposite of Miami. You're going to go to Milwaukee. And you're going to either take your money and like it or now request a trade like you've been threatening so that Milwaukee has to trade him to Miami because he's actually willing to lose money and he's not going to show up for work as the start of his business relationship with Milwaukee. Damian Lillard as the crossroads, because we've been saying for years, why do you always have to do what Harden wants? He's got a contract. He doesn't have a no trade clause. Well, you got to call the players bluff. And Lillard wasn't able to get dirty in public. 
on behalf of wanting to get here. He didn't want to ruin the fan base loyalty that he has with Portland by making a mess. And so now he gets the power taken away from him and sent to a place he doesn't want to go. That, to me, that's the most interesting part of all of this, that the place that it stops on player empowerment is Damian Lillard. You're too old and you have too much money late in your contract. You can't have this power. I'm not sure that's all of it, as Levitard is trying to make that point. Again, he's speaking from a Miami standpoint. But I, I think you've seen you know, a push from NBA leaders in the last year to try to push back against the players who are making the public trade demands and putting franchises in impossible positions. And I kind of wonder, and I, and I don't think they'll ever really say it, but I kind of wonder if Burt Cold and Jody Allen and Joe Cronin sat in a room and went, we don't want to trade him except to a small market because we're a small market team and nobody else ever gave us a player. Nobody else ever gave Portland a look in free agency, and it's the only way a Milwaukee or a Sacramento or a Portland can ever really compete. I wonder if that's what happened. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. not only doing this radio show from uh, from the studio here, I am also um, demonstrating incredible willpower every day on this radio show. I don't know if, if you have purchased your Halloween candy, but Anna went to the uh, went to the Costco. She got two giant bags of Halloween candy and then decided that uh, this radio studio was an appropriate place to store it. Correction. So- You'll have your time. You'll have your time for rebuttal. Overruled. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. You're and uh, I, uh, one of these bags ended up open. And uh, on a daily basis, I find myself surrounded by, you know, just a little Twix wrapper here or an M&M's wrapper there. And uh, today I'm doing pretty good. But I don't, know, I don't know if those bags should be in here. Go ahead, Anna. Have at it. Have you closed your argument? Uh, here's how it really went. The Halloween candy came home because as any reasonable person knows, you can't go searching for Halloween candy that close to Halloween. Like I've done that and I'm like at the Safeway scrounging up the milk duds and stuff that nobody actually wants. Did you go a little early though? Yeah, probably. You know, I swung the other way this year. Jump the gun. And, um, I knew what would, what would happen is that the people in this household that are not me would go in search of this candy. So I hid it. I hid it in a couple different spots in the garage. And uh, so it was it was out and on display for a short half day. And then I put it away. And I got no less than like three phone calls and text messages <laughs> from the guy that was searching for the candy like freaking Gollum in the ring. Okay, and when I told him it was in the garage, he went tearing through empty containers in the garage. It wasn't in the garage. It was in the garage (laughs) to try and find this candy like it was the precious. And he found it all right. And I was so annoyed that I came home and I he never found it, by the way. So I came home. I Good job by you. I, I uncovered it, and I put all of it in his studio. I was like, if you want it and the diabetes that much, just have it all. You're just like, take it. This is like a parent who, like, <laughs> finds that their kid 
take a puff on a cigarette, and then makes them smoke a whole carton. Yes. That's what you did. Yes. That's the equivalent of what is happening here. And oh, by the way, what's with the little mini-sized candies? It's snack. What, what happened to the what happened to the full-size candy bars oh, yeah. we used to give out? We did give those out, huh? Yeah, like you know, pe- the kids are gonna come up to the door and they're gonna be like, really? We're going to get egged now? Come on, what happened? Because they're expecting full-size candy bars. Times must be lean over there, you know? You've gone from full-size candy bars. You know, I was there was a badge of honor one, day, one night, one Halloween, a couple years ago, when a grown man was caught on the security cameras, parking his car after the trick-or-treaters had had their fun, sneaking up to the doorstep and attempting to steal the whole thing of candy that we'd left on the doorstep because it was full-size snicker bars uh-huh. three musketeers m&ms by the way the kids don't like the peanut m&ms no they're not fans of that we left that bowl out there they picked right through it and they left like 10 bags of peanut m&ms they don't even want them they come up they look at them and they walk away well you know i'm confident that let's see what's the date today it is september 27th more than a month away yeah, from halloween more than a month so- away. What is going on? Why do we have the candy? Well, I, I'm confident that uh, in the next few weeks, this supply that will dwindle down to the point where we'll, we'll have to go buy full-size candy bars to yeah. hang out on Halloween night. I, I don't know what I'm having for dinner. I don't know what's happening in the next segment of radio, but we got our Halloween candy? What the hell? Let's go to Sam in Vancouver who wants to talk about Damian Lillard. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, all right. First of all, I just wanted to say hats off to Anna for only going to Costco for two bags of candy. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty difficult to do. Sure. Um, but uh, well, on to Dame. Um, I think that Dame kind of spoke a little too late in his career. And what had happened was you got all these players that um, have talked about, you know, what they want best for the team, like LeBron he speaks up and everything. Um, I don't know behind closed doors if Dame was talking to ownership or anything like that about getting better players over to Portland. But I think it was just too little too late, and he's kind of getting what he's got. Um, he kind of turned towards the end there. Not like a, like kind of like a, I don't want to say traditional Portland Trailblazer, but we really haven't anybody that like really demanded a whole bunch of stuff as he did being the number one player. Um, and uh, I, to end, what I really kind of want is, I know you don't really show your bias or anything towards the teams in the Bay Area, but, man, can I, can I put in for, like, a Bay Area sports moment or something every day with you to catch up on the 49ers and the Giants, man, because I'm getting real tired of hearing nothing but Seahawks and Mariners. So I'll let you in. I'll end on that one. All right, I'm going to give you a uh, – I'm I'm I want you to – you know what? You could have stayed on. You could have stayed on. I was going to give him, you know, a Giants highlight. I don't know why this popped into my head. When uh, when he said, "Can we get a Bay Area highlight?" But you know, Pablo Sandoval hitting uh, you know three home runs in a World Series game. The one one pitch. He swings and he belts one. Deep center field. Jackson is going back and goal! A home run! Number three for Pablo Sandoval. His first three at bats in this World Series. All right, there you go for all the Bay Area listeners out there. Just a little bit of home. Gary's in Beaverton. Let's go to Gary in Beaverton. Welcome, Gary. Hey, hey John. It's on your mind. Yes, Gary. Gary, you're on. Okay. 
Yeah. Hey, hey, John. Um, yeah, I've been in the candy business for about forty years. The reason. Okay. The reason. <laughs> okay. I love this. We're going to get down to this, aren't we? <laughs> All yeah. right, Gary. Go on. The reason that candy comes into the stores in August and September is because uh, people buy it for school lunches. Uh, that's that's the premise. But really, what happens is. People go out and buy the best, the Snickers and their favorites, and then they and then they turn around and uh, uh, eat it all. And by the time they get to Halloween, they're buying the cheap stuff that nobody wants. Like <laughs> they're out there buying the milk duds and uh, yeah, yeah, the stuff that the kids don't even know about because they they don't buy that stuff today. They're they're buying uh, you know the sour. Uh, gummies and uh, and the sour punch kids and stuff. So it's just kind of interesting, but that that's the motive of the candy industry. Oh, let's get it out there for school lunches, and then you know, my wife was the same way. She she'd bring stuff home, put it in the cupboard, and I on Halloween I'd go wear some candy, and she goes, "Well, yeah, pull it out of your your sample pack." You know, I, I took that to work. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you a question? What are the kids eating this day? You mentioned Sour Patch. They've gone They've gone sour and sugary? Yeah, the candy industry, you know, it used to be driven by chocolate, but um, chocolate's still a driving factor, mainly because of women. Don't hit me, Anna. And, oh, I uh, and, uh But non-chocolate items uh, are really what kids like today. And it's it's forty to forty five percent of the industry now. So if you go out there and look at how many different gummies there are, uh, I remember when gummies came from Germany over here, and uh, and I remember a guy meeting me at a customer going, "Hey, look at what I got in my trunk. I brought these back from Germany." And now there's probably thirty brands of gummies out there on the shelf. So um, yeah, and it's easier. Chocolate melts quite easily, and non-chocolate items, whether it's uh, Werther's, Caramels, or whatever it is. But seasonal's a lot different because candy corn, Peeps, and all of that stuff, which I sold Peeps for 15 years. Um, I mean, uh, that, that stuff, hot tamales, Mike and Ike's, uh, Jelly Belly, all of that stuff uh, is a big factor in, in today's market. You're talking yeah. about the, uh, as Stephen would call it, the underground market on gummies and uh, candy. That's why people come to the show. I, I love that we can talk about it, and then we get, like, the expert on <laughs> that calls in. I love it that you picked up the phone, Gary. And uh, So let me ask you, Gary. Like, when I worked at a pizza place, I didn't want to see pizza. Do you still snack on candy even though you were surrounded by it in your career? I'm, I'm really more... You know, I'm older now, but I'm really more of a, a salty snack guy. You know, I like nuts, um, and I actually like uh, a lot of different dried fruit items. But I, I still eat candy. I, I, ha- I have my favorites. I'm a, I'm a licorice guy. I think Australia makes better licorice than any licorice we make in America. Uh, I don't like Twizzlers. American licorice is pretty good, but Australian licorice is the best licorice, in my opinion. So Gary, different, Gary, different things. Gary, you're bringing the heat. I love it. I love it. All right, we're going to talk. Uh, now I'm going to order some Australian licorice. I will say, our licorice break. is bad. I, I yeah. need to try Australian now. It's crap. Our licorice <laughs> is crap compared to the Aussies. Um, all right, we're going to take more phone calls in the 5 o'clock hour. Ken is going to lead us off by talking about Damian Lillard 
Aaron Goodwin, and Dan Lebetard. Plus, Anna's got the five at five, and Stephen and I, and Anna maybe, will kick around fact or not a fun fact. Damian Lillard's been traded. Pac-12 Conference pushing on towards week five of the season. Oregon on the road at Stanford. Tomorrow's program will have uh, one of the Oregon assistant coaches on the show. I'll give you an update on that in a few minutes on who it's going to be. Also, uh, later in the week, we will visit with Sean Merriman, former NFL linebacker. And Oregon State plays on Friday night. Short week game. Heard from Kyle Whittingham earlier on the show. Nine grandchildren, Anna. Nine. Oh, my. He likes to vacation. He was very specific, Stephen. Did you catch that? West Maui. Yeah, very specific. West Maui. I've never heard anybody refer to it that way. Just say you go to Maui. Goes to West Maui. Uh, Also, uh, Colorado hosting USC. A lot of eyeballs on Saturday morning on Fox. Ken in Portland's called in. He wants to talk about Damian Lillard, Aaron Goodwin, his agent, and Dan Lebetard. What do you got, Ken? What's up, man? Hey, John, thank you. Um, so, first off, I, I want to address Willard. I, I wish him nothing but the best. He's been a trooper. He's, uh, he's represented Portland really well. So, I'm glad that he's going to be happy. I think that if Paul Allen had not gotten sick again and had survived, that he would have probably been able to do enough to keep Damian Hill here to retire. Um, regarding Aaron Goodwin, uh, I loved his statement basically blaming the Blazers. That guy is backtracking faster than Deion Sanders covering T.O. in his prime. He is trying to cover his backside from the utter failure. I mean, he, as an agent, he did the worst possible job. His job was to get his client to Miami. He took the wrong course of action. He misread the room, flung a hammer against the Vulcan wall, thinking it was paper and he could knock through it. It was titanium that came back and hit him and his client in the head. If I was Willard, I would have a two-minute conversation, thank you, thank him for his service, and fire him because he did an abysmal job of taking care of his client. Uh, regarding Levitard and all the Miami haunts, um, I loved hearing that statement from him today. He is now blaming Willard for not getting himself to Miami, basically saying that he needed to um, complain more publicly and threaten a holdout and that sort of thing. He needs to blame the person most responsible for this. That's the golden child, Pat Riley, the aging GM down there who, for the most part, does really good work, completely blew it. He thought he could just offer hot garbage to the Blazers, and they'd have no choice but to, to eat. Um, instead, now... The, uh, the Bucks are the ones who are going to be getting Willard, and they play Miami. And my guess is that the Bucks are going to destroy Miami. And they, instead of being swept out with an injured uh, Bucks team, now they're going to sweep out Miami out of the playoffs. So I love the fact that the Miami Honks, who are so myopic, now get to see the results of what their GM Yeah, I think it's an interesting time. I don't know if it's going to signal a shift in the paradigm where players who have demanded trades no longer feel like they're in control or maybe they're less uh, 
less uh, eager to go public with their trade demand. But it's certainly worth studying. It's certainly interesting. And yeah, I, and and I don't think this is the end of it. I think we're going to, in the next couple days, I think we're going to get more stuff that comes out. Certainly uh, Aaron Goodwin talking. The Blazers have their media day scheduled for Monday. They will use that opportunity to shape the narrative themselves. But what's clear is that an era ended and a new one is starting in Portland and a new one is starting in Milwaukee. Don't you think the whole trade request being like sending Dame to Milwaukee, isn't that more just Dame's age and Dame's contract rather than the the, the Blazers actually pushing back on this? I, I just don't know about how many teams really wanted that? Does, is Miami really going to spend a lot of assets to get that contract back when he's 36? I don't know. I don't think that is. Like That's why James Harden hasn't been moved to the Clippers like he wants to be moved because he's old and he's not as good. All these other guys, they were young in their prime. Anthony Davis, you know, in his prime when he got moved to the Lakers, I feel like the age does have some, some leverage to it of why he didn't get moved to the Heat. Anna and I have a, a friend who was talking the other day about you know date, women dating men. And she was talking about, you know, if you said, okay, you're limited by men who are in your age range, who are also single, who are also six feet or taller, who also, you know, make a certain income. Um, you know, and she started listing all these traits and facts. And she's like, you're talking about two people <laughs> inside of, you know, a, a, a radius of 100 miles of you. Uh, it, it kind of felt that way with the Blazers. I said it yesterday. It, you're talking about teams that view the next two seasons as their time to win. How many teams can say that? Raise your hand. So maybe 10 teams, 8 teams put their hands up. And then you go teams that don't have a player at Damian Lillard's position. Uh, keep your hands up. And you know suddenly now you're down to like 4 or 6 teams. Then, okay, if you have the assets the Blazers are interested in or you can acquire the Blazers, as, and then two more teams put their hands down. So suddenly you're, you're talking about three teams in the end that really have a chance to do it because the team I had my eye on, and I think you did too early on, Stephen, was Utah. Utah had all these first-round draft picks. They had what Portland wanted. And so I kind of kept thinking, in the end, does it come back to Utah and does Utah get them because they have, like, they can go, hey, we'll give you three first-round picks plus some players. It never got there. Because why? Because Utah probably wasn't thinking we've got to win now and we need to give up a lot. And you're right, Stephen. They're looking at his contract going $216 million left on his deal. You'll be paying him like $60 million in two years. The end of that deal is going to be ugly, and he's not going to be able to play yeah, up it, to that level. If he was 30 years old. Utah would have been right in it, right? Because they could build with that, and and they probably wouldn't have to spend the five, six first round picks they gave up, or they got for Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell each. So you're getting Dame at a discount, who's a better player than those guys, and you still get him in his somewhat prime. I, I just think that age, man, that contract. I think NBA teams look at that and say, yeah, Dame is awesome, and he's going to be great for another two years, probably a year for sure, maybe two years. But after that, it's gonna it's gonna go down a little bit. And then that contract's going to be bad. It's going to be hard to move. So I, you're right on this. Like I think it's a little bit of everything, but I, you know, I will say for all the bad things that the Blazers ownership has done, I do think it's good that they, you know, stood their ground and they didn't just cave in and give them to the Heat. For sure. Let's do the five at five. Anna's got five great stories. The five at five. The biggest story in Anna's world is. 
You gotta stop pitching it like that, because then I have to follow it every time by saying these are not in order of importance. They're just in <laughs> random spaghetti right. thrown Five on Five random wall. stories that Anna has randomly picked today. That may or may not be the most important thing in your world. Right. Thank you. Loses Thank some you. luster. Okay. Really, it's just honest. It's the bald-faced truth. Yeah, but it's like a boxing match, you know, back in the day. They'd be like, you know, in the blue corner. And then they just, you know, you're hyping up the fighters. Mm-hmm. They don't just go, in the blue corner, some guy. <laughs> you know, they don't do that. Okay, go. Uh, well, Damian Lillard just dropped a brand new single. I noticed this. It was on his Facebook page. And he put it on his YouTube page. Um, and I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing. But here are some tidbits from the lyrics in the song. What's the song called? It's a farewell song. Uh-huh. It's called Farewell. So I'm assuming he's been working on this for a while and didn't That's probably he was so mad. conjure this together. <laughs> That's why he was so mad. He was like, I'm just, I got this song and they're never going to trade me. <laughs> well, uh, some of the lyrics include, I continue leaving trails but won't be for the Blazers. I could never be replaced, they'll know sooner than later. Mm. Just know that what I left is better than what I inherited. There you go. You can listen to the whole song on his I got news for him. Bill Walton, Clyde Drexler, Brandon Roy, Damian Lillard, great players. There's life before and life after. The Blazers will be fine. There will be another star player. And it won't be that long where the fan base turns over and young kids will be like, they don't know who he is. That's what happens. That's what, that's, you know, I I had this conversation with more than one Blazers GM over the years, in 20-something years of being here. They all came in and acted like they were the GM of record and that the franchise began and ended with him. And I, am, I remember having this conversation with Steve Patterson. I said, Steve, I'm going to be here longer than you. That's just how it works. You know, the GMs come and go. The players come and go. Fans are left behind. Some media members are left behind. But there will be life after Damian Lillard. Come on. Get real. Farewell. But hell of a, hell of a coincidence that he came out with that song today. <laughs> hell of a coincidence. Just dropped it less than an That's hour why ago. he's so mad. He's worked on this song. He was all ready to go. Had, he's had his finger ready to hit that button to you, post it a couple times. You think he had different versions, like one that like actually mentioned the Miami Heat in it and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> there might have been. That's why he's that, mad. There might have been. And, and I listened to it. I would play it right now, but there's some profanity in it. And and it, and frankly, I don't think it's worth playing. Ouch. Right, number two. Okay. Um, this story caught my eye. Again, not because it's necessarily important, but... Uh, I think it's interesting. So Deion Sanders is talking about uh, one of his recruits that he got through the transfer portal. Five-star prospect, number one cornerback in that class, in that cycle, Cormani McLean. People are starting to ask, why isn't he playing? Right. He was asked last week what's preventing him from seeing the field, and Sanders responded, he is. He has since elaborated, saying that he needs to study and prepare and be on time for meetings, show up to the meetings, understand what we're doing as a scheme, want to play this game, desire to play this game, desire to be the best at this game, at practice in the film room and on your own free time, and there's more. So I, I, you know what? I respect this. 
Like, that's a coach who is setting a boundary and saying, you need to show up in a number of ways. Yeah, the kid yeah. isn't going, he's missing meetings, he's yeah. late to meetings, and Sanders is putting it back on the kid, saying he got to take himself seriously. That is that is good coaching. That's something he'll use his whole life, if he gets it. My suspicion is that the kid doesn't end up at Colorado next year. That's generally how it goes. But he'll look back years from now, and he'll go, ah, I should have had my act together. I I like a lot of what Deion Sanders does and preaches, and the messaging is strong. He's old school. I'm a little old school. I relate to that. And I uh, I admire that. But I also think he has this interesting way of appealing to younger people that is not old school. So it's a, it's a real contrast to see a guy wearing sunglasses and a hat, and the kids all think he's cool, and they relate to him in that way. But his messaging is, you know, tie your shoelaces, pull up your pants, wear, uh, you know, look your teacher in the eye, shake their hand. You know, he's got mm-hmm. some old school values. Number three. Uh, well, it's done. Michigan State has fired Mel Tucker. Uh, he's been removed amid sexual harassment allegations uh, involving uh, rape survivor and activists that we know from here in Oregon, Brenda Tracy. Um, what I find interesting in this situation is that because he's being fired for cause, Michigan State could save nearly $80 million that they still owe him on his contract, which technically runs through 2031. Um, Pretty strong words from the athletic director saying that uh, Mel Tucker's 25-page response provides a litany of excuses for his inappropriate behavior while expressly admitting to the problematic conduct outlined in the notice. He's going to get a settlement, isn't he? Like, I think he sues. He gets a settlement. Brenda Tracy probably sues Michigan State for their mishandling of the uh, the whole thing. The fact that her name got out, got leaked out, you know, she had to endure the scrutiny. She sues. I think they both end up walking away and never having to work again. But Mel Tucker, how, you know, how dumb do you have to be to be Mel Tucker, to be in that situation, you know, it, and end up in that position where you're on the phone and you're in, in you know you're risking 95 million dollars in contract earnings for what you know yeah there were a number of mistakes made uh, number 4 speaking of mistakes um <laughs> ohio high school football coach has resigned <laughs> Did you hear about this one? Did he kiss a Spanish (laughs) World Cup player? No, 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 no. Um, He's a high school football coach. Uh, This is during Brooklyn High School's game against Beachwood High in Beachwood, which is a Cleveland suburb that is predominantly Jewish. So what is one of the play calls that they decided to yell out on Mm. Friday night? They yelled out Nazi. Over and over again. <laughs> That's not funny. It's not. It's it's, it's so, so bad. Stupid. That's so bad. It is so stupid. Like how, how many people did that decision get run by that didn't seem to think there was a problem 
before it actually happened over and over in the midst of a high school football game. So he's 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 resigned. And apologized. There's just <laughs> You gotta <laughs> it's just yeah, I, I just I'm jammed up on this because it's you like there's somebody beside him, the first time that idea comes up. Like we all have bad ideas, okay? Yeah. We all every once in a while I have a bad idea. I have bad ideas. It's Steven's job to be like, eh, probably not a good idea. Or it's your job, eh, probably not a good idea. How many assistant coaches, how many players during the week when they were practicing this, the meetings that it came up in, before it comes time for this actually to be unveiled on a field in a situation where it can offend and get him fired and cause, you know, what is the upside oh by the way? Just yell out Omaha. It's like when you see a highway sign, like one of those big shiny highway signs with reflective letters and it's spelled incorrectly. You're you're thinking to yourself, how many hands did that pass through? And they missed that typo. But in this case, let me just paint you the scene. During the first 30 minutes of the game, the Brooklyn Hurricanes head coach, Tim McFarland, that's the guy, and his players were accused of yelling out Nazi over and over again. Now, at halftime... The superintendent caught wind of this and threatened to pull its players from the field if the high school didn't stop using the term. So he had a chance. <laughs> he was given an opportunity to think about it. Well, they, they stopped using the term during the second oh. half, but by then, come on. It was done. It was... <laughs> Next week, they yell out McFarland. It's McFarland. <sighs> Teachable moment for the players. Number five. Okay. I'm going to finish with a, a strange one. That was a strange one. Well, that was a strange one, but this is strange and sad. Uh, the president of uh, Columbia's second division soccer club, the Tigres, Tigres? No, yeah. was shot and killed over the weekend oh. after the team lost a home match. So this is a 63-year-old named Edgar Paez. He was fatally shot. While going home in a car, after his team lost, his daughter was present at the time of the shooting, but she wasn't hurt. And this happened right near the stadium as he was leaving. People are mad. People are delusional. Perspective, folks. You know what? We see this in America, but we don't see it with shooting and whatever as people are leaving the stadium. But people lose their minds. I mean, it's. I, I keep thinking it's not that far. We always hear about that, like you know, during the Olympics one time, had one of these countries that um, I don't want to name it because I'll get it wrong, but one of these countries where there were death threats against the goalkeeper. People were saying that person could be beheaded in their country because they allowed a goal, and we always look and we shake our head or we shake our head at this thing. But you know, there were death threats after the Colorado Colorado State game. I get it. It's a leap from making a threat to actually executing the threat, but it's not that big of a leap. It's kind of stupid either way. Long-term solution to a short-term problem. That's a good way to put it. It is. Short-term problem. Like, you know, go on Twitter. Put the gun away. Yeah, let out all your, your venting on go, Twitter. Like every other Where it weirdo. Belongs. Like every other weirdo that goes on Twitter after the game and berates somebody inappropriately, just go do it there. That 
is the five at five. Uh. More phone calls. 503-417-7575. I want to hear from Blazer fans. How are you feeling now? Do you feel like you can go free again? Do you feel like uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time with this team moving forward? There's no Damian Lillard on the roster. He says we're, we're going to find out how hard it is to replace him. I got news for him. They will replace him, and there will be another star who emerges in Portland. It, it may not be this season, but it will happen. But I want your take as well. 503-417-7575. Stephen and I will give our picks in the Pac-12 games. or We'll, we'll do our here's where we're leaning in our Pac-12 games coming up in the uh, final segment of today's show. I want your phone calls, especially Blazer fans. In this segment, are you? do you consider yourself a Blazer fan? If so, I want to hear from you. What do you make of the Damian Lillard trade? Are you finally happy to have a kind of a watershed moment? You put all that uncertainty and the indecision behind the franchise or what? 503-417-7575. Let's go out to Don, who is in Tigard. Don, welcome. Hey, John, it's been a while since I've talked to you, about a year and a half since I called in. But I Where have you been, Don? Where, where have you been? I've been working. I took a, a, a break from sports, but I, you know, I, I follow the Blazers a little bit, but I'm not really a Blazer fan. Kind of. I, I am a fan, but I, I, I just didn't like Damian Lillard the last three or four years. I mean, his uh, turnovers have gone up, his shot selections were bad, and, and the way he was disgruntled about somehow Portland in a way, and it's just uh, I'm, I'm really done with the fact that uh, I'm glad he's moved on. There's a younger uh, younger team is going to be together, and I, I'm hopeful for that. And I don't really know what he said that was controversial, what he you talked about. He, he said he didn't he, – he's – no one can replace him, or I, I don't know. I think that's pretty much of a self-centered thing. I mean, there's new stars rising up in the, the Blazers. They just need more time to develop, and they're on the team already. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you look at a guy like Scoot Henderson. You uh, look at a Shaden Sharp, and you also look at the uh, the incoming players that the Blazers have. Look, there's not a Damian Lillard there yet. But uh, I can remember thinking, you know, in the wake of Brandon Roy in his injuries in Portland, when that era closed, it was kind of somber because you realized, gosh, it never lined up with LaMarcus Aldridge, Brandon Roy, and Greg Oden, except for maybe a 50-game stretch at one point of one season. It just never lined up. But this is different. The Blazers had their chances. It was, you know, 11 seasons. I, I put this one more on the front office. I put some of it on Damian Lillard for not raising his hand when he was younger and saying, surround me with talent. Maybe he bought into what Neil Olshay was selling early on. Hey, we're working on it. We're working on it. But, um, you know, he waited to, to the end when it was evident to everybody and there was no owner around to, to raise his hand and go, okay, I've had enough. J.D. is in Vancouver. J.D., where do you stand? John, how are you doing today? Doing well. Good, man. You know, I, uh, I I caught this when it broke, and, you know, my gut reaction was just, you know, like, well, what are we going to do with this? You know, we've seen an influx of young talent. We've seen this, but 
You know, we still don't have an owner. We still, you know, have a shaky front office. And so this ends up being something that, you know, another front office inherits. And, you know, who knows what their plan is. And it's just, you know, yeah, it's a win for today. And, you know, Dane's gone and we got talent coming. But, you know, what have the Blazers ever shown us, you know, that they're going to do anything? And it's just, it's, it's honestly heartbreaking as a fan that on a day that we should be celebrating that, you know, we can build a team that, you know, is relevant for years to come. There's, there's still just question marks everywhere because you can't trust this front office to do anything long term. Amen to that. And it, it's not a front office with proof of performance. It's not a front office that has, seemingly has a plan. You watch kind of what they do and what they have done since the passing of Paul Allen, and you go, okay, they're just kind of guessing and stabbing in the night. And, you know, I it's why I wrote today. You know, I wrote immediately when I heard the trade went down. I saw the news. I, I just sat down and started writing. And you can read what I wrote at johnconzano.com. There's no paywall or anything on it. Just, you know, if you want to read it, read it. It struck me that it was a little sobering today for the reason that the caller that JD in Vancouver just brought up. And I love that he called in. I love that he brought it up. It's we're going to watch Milwaukee, another small market with a MVP, two time MVP, put Damian Lillard into the co-pilot seat and make a run for a championship. Lillard should have got that. The Blazers organization, and I'll say this, I I really think the missed opportunity was about three years ago. A lot of people will point to the summer of 2016. I think it was was a bad summer. Neil O'Shea blew it, made some bad moves. But it was the summer of 16, the summer of 17, the summer of 18, the summer of 19, summer of 20, 21. It was like Groundhog Day. They, They just never did what was necessary to give him a real shot to win and to instill any kind of hope and faith and joy in the franchise. And, you know, the upside was, I got to be honest, like, we're, you know, they, they got a real favorable matchup, got to the Western Conference Finals that one year. I actually think that might have set the franchise back in that it hit a lot of problems. They still had that same roster. They had problems. They were not incentivized to change. A first-round exit that year probably would have done a lot more for the trajectory of the franchise. I know, I know it. You're 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 going to say that I'm you know nitpicking them. I that year I remember him getting to the Western Conference Finals. I remember thinking Oklahoma City that was a real favorable matchup. Denver was a favorable matchup at the time. They got to the finals by beating those two franchises at that time and then ran into the buzzsaw that was the Warriors. And and then they went off into the offseason and said, hey, we made the Western Conference Finals. We're close. We're knocking on the door. But I was looking at the landscape going, they're not better than them. They're not better than them. They're not better than that. Like, there was a number of teams that they had they ran into in the first round. The narrative in that offseason would have been much different. It would have been, get him some help. This franchise can't waste his opportunity. And J.D.'s right. You don't have proof of performance. And and I don't know if you can believe in this front office, but I'll say this. They did all right in this trade. So I'm going to give them credit for that, and I'm going to hope that they continue to do well. Chris in Vancouver. Chris, go ahead. 
Yeah, hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, first off, I'm excited for Damien because he's actually going to get an opportunity to go win a championship, and it's going to be, I mean, I don't know how they're going to stop anybody in Milwaukee with he and Giannis doing their thing. Uh, but, you know, I just think back of all the memories that we have that he gave the city, and it's really it's going to be hard to see him play for somebody else, but at the same time, it's going to be a great opportunity for him to go out and actually get a ring, hopefully. And uh, I think they got a pretty decent uh, return on investment when they are going to be getting those picks from Milwaukee. Milwaukee could be, you know, after those two players have already left and departed. So a uh, chance that we get into their picks when they're rebuilding, so to speak. And, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll have a front office hopefully by then. But, yeah. You hope. Yeah, you hope. You hope by then there'll be an owner, there'll be a direction, there'll be a plan. Um, it's part of what has plagued this uh, franchise. Dave is in Vancouver. Dave, go ahead. Your turn. Well, I was going to say about Lillard. Okay, let's say you go to a game and you're walking around and everyone's wearing Lillard jerseys and Bill Walton and, you know, Drexler, and you see a guy with like a – he's still wearing an Odin jersey like last season or a Prisbilla. You know, I, don't, I just want to tell fans, like, you know, don't be embarrassed to, like, wear a Lillard jersey, like, next year. And in 10 years, you're going to wear that to a game as if it's, a, like, a Bill Walton jersey. You know, hang on to it. Don't throw it away. Because, uh, yeah, he's a blazer. Appreciate the phone call. You're still root for him. I think people will largely feel that way. And... In fact, I think part of it is Blazer fans have been in this, oddly, in the same way that that the franchise players have been in this. You know, it's not like you're playing for the team and suiting up for the team, but you are at the whim of ownership and management, and so have the players been uh, in recent years. And I think it's a really interesting dynamic because there are a lot of teams, a lot of franchises where – the players and the fans, there's a disconnect. Blazers players and Blazers fans, I think, have a common obstacle. <laughs> you know? I, t- Steven, tell me if I'm crazy. Like, you know, you're a Blazer fan, and you've worked for the organization. You look over and you go, you know, they better get their act together. And I think the players are doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I've only been saying that for what twenty plus years, John. I mean, I, you know, as far back as I can remember, is it's that's just the way it is. It's like we all, you know, I know me as a Blazer fan. As soon as something goes well, I assume something bad's going to happen right after that. So, you know, at some point, hopefully, it changes. But you're right; we've all been in it together as Blazer fans because Neil O'Shea. Joe Cronin, Damian Lillard, they all said all the right things, right? They all said, oh, we're going to build. We're going to build around Dame. We're going to build a championship contender. We're only a piece away, yada, yada, yada. It just never came true. So we were all on the same page. We all wanted the end goal, which was a championship. And then we were all failed every single time together. So it's like we have that relationship with Dame. We have that relationship with the Blazers. And it's understandable to to feel this way and be like, you know what? I'm sad because it never happened. But we all understand why Dame wanted out. Like, it's okay to feel both ways. Like, I feel both ways. Like, they, I wish they would have built around Dame, but I don't blame Dame for saying, you know what, I'm tired of this. You guys have said a lot of things. It hasn't come true. Give me somewhere where I actually have a chance to win, even though if championships aren't the most important thing, I'm going to be playing on the biggest stage. Like, get me there. So, it's just, you're right. It's just a weird day. 
But, you know, it, it's the end of one era, start of another. But, you know, I eventually think at some point, if the Blazers get going again, something bad's going to happen again. So I just uh, feel like I'm cursed <laughs> as a fan. Do you think it'll be weird to see Lillard in a Milwaukee uniform? Yeah, I think it'll be weird. Um, I think it's kind of weird. For the most part, I think it's usually always weird when guys do that, but especially Dame. Like, he's been so... He's been so part of Portland and the community and everything like that. It'll be weird to see him wear green, uh, definitely. But I'm I'm really excited for him, man. I think it's a great opportunity on the court. I'm excited to watch how he plays because uh, you know we, we've seen them on the biggest stages, but you know when they're on the, when they're the Eastern Conference Championship stuff like that, that's going to be a stage like none other. Because you're right, like back when the Blazers made the Western Conference Finals, they got swept by the Warriors. It was not close. And I think I think any common sense Blazer fan could watch that series and say they are far away from a championship, but the front office pushed it like no, we're close, we're we're right there, and that was just another failure on the Blazers' part. Yeah, uh, in Milwaukee today, the concerns are dot dot dot. I'm going to offer one. I want to. I want you to offer as well. Lillard's age and health and his contract, right? Like those are the concerns. He has been a guy who has had an abdominal injury, who has missed some games, hasn't been as durable as he was early in his career. He is aging. There is going to be a ceiling for what he can do. He's on the backside of his career. Just a, I think if you're looking at it as an arc, uh, you know, he's still got, I think, a year or two of really, really high play left in him. Then I think you start to wonder, like, you know, where he ends up two years from now, three years from now. But what... What's Milwaukee worried about right now? I think if I was a Bucks fan, and I, I think this is a very slight chance, but there was the rumors, John, that he would not be happy if he got traded anywhere but Miami. And I think Dame didn't want to make Blazer fans mad at him. He didn't want to cross that line and dirty up that relationship. But he has no relationship with the Bucks. Is he going to be happy playing in Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. I think there is a... Slight fear that I would have if I was a Bucks fan that says, and you know what, Milwaukee wasn't on his list. It's the complete opposite of what Miami is. South Beach, Miami, you know, you're getting bottle service. Now you're up getting, uh, what, cheese curds in Wisconsin? Like, it's it's a thing, man. I, I think that I would be slightly worried about it. I think Dame is a professional. He's going to show out. He's going to do his thing. But I don't know. In the back of my mind, there's still something saying, like, he may try to muddy this up. And in a year or two, he wants out, and then what happens with Giannis at that point? 503-417-7575. You got the BFT. Stephen, we won't give our official picks until tomorrow's show, and we'll double down and lock them in on Friday. Uh, by the way, Friday's broadcast will be live from Racer Stadium. I was at Autzen Stadium last weekend. I'll be at Racer Stadium on Friday night for Oregon State, Utah. And uh, great photography team will be there at the game as well. Serena Morones, who's a fantastic photographer, will have a photo gallery that you can check out at johnconzano.com. If you want to check out any of the photo galleries, just go to johnconzano.com. There's a photo gallery tab. If you are a Duck fan, a Beaver fan, a Washington State fan, a Washington fan, a Utah fan, a USC, UCLA fan, no matter what program you root for in the Pac-12, we've got the photos in the galleries there. They're dynamite give them a look makes you feel like you're in the stadium a lot of the uh shots that they're taking too uh are not game related some of them are fans so if you've been to those games you might be in those galleries but stadium shots and 
uh, often we have more than one photographer working a game, so we get kind of a unique perspective. We had two photographers at the Colorado-Oregon game, for example, uh, last weekend. I've got photographers at uh, the Oregon-Stanford game as well, and we'll have coverage of the Oregon-Stanford game on Saturday. But uh, before we get too far down the road, I want to talk about the games and give our lean. We call it our lean. We do this on Wednesdays. Stephen and I talk about the games and where we're leaning. Utah's at Oregon State on Friday, 6 o'clock, as I mentioned, FS1 broadcast. Spread right now is Oregon State minus 3.5. Where's your lean? I, I think I'm leaning Utah right now, even with the uncertainty at quarterback. And um, the reason why that is is watching Cameron Ward last week against Oregon State run around and do his thing. Uh, maybe I think I maybe overrated the defense a little bit in Oregon State, and I think if it's uh, Nate Johnson running around for Utah, he'll be able to make some plays on the ground. And then that defense of Utah is awesome, and they made Dante Moore not look very good. DJ last two weeks has struggled, but you know he looks uh, just not not assertive with the ball. Like he doesn't know where he's going with it. He's a lot of thinking out there. I think that's where Utah capitalizes. I know that Oregon State home field advantage is great, but. Three and a half points. I'd probably take the points. I want to say Oregon State wins, but I think I, I think I, I got to go with Kyle Whittingham in Utah right now as my lean. I right now lean the same way. Anytime you get Kyle Whittingham in Utah and points, how do you not, you know, lean in that direction? That said, thirteen of the last fourteen home games, Oregon State wins the game outright. I I kind of see this as a really close game. Regardless if Cam Rising plays or not, I think it's a very close game. And I'm almost right now leaning towards picking a narrow Oregon State win, but a Utah cover. Is that is that a a weak position to be in? No, because the, the total's at 44.5, John. So that's like, I mean, it's like a 24-20 ball game. Like, it's going to be a, it should be a close game. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong on that. I think that's probably the right play right now. Moving on to the second game, where do we lean? How about this one? USC's at Colorado, 9 a.m., Fox, Saturday morning. USC, 21.5-point favorite. The total, 73.5. I'll start. I'll go first here. Um, Early kickoff, Colorado coming off the Oregon game. Colorado at home getting 21.5. You might be tempted here. You might be tempted given the fact that USC wasn't that impressive against Arizona State, but... I'm going to lean that USC covers the 21-and-a-half right now. Uh, I think Shador Sanders in Colorado will score 21 or 24, but I think USC is going to put a 50-burger on Colorado. I agree with you on this one. Um, I do think Colorado's offense is going to show out a little bit better than they did in that Oregon game. I thought they'd score against Oregon. They didn't. I think they'll be able to score and move the ball up and down the field a little bit on USC, but I think the uh, Arizona State game was a wake-up call for USC. They sleptwalked through that game like no other. Arizona State throw the kitchen sink at them just to keep it close. Caleb Williams is going to notice this big noon kickoff, 9 a.m. It's going to be a little early, but uh, you know, all eyes are going to be on them. I think Caleb Williams shows out kind of like Bo Nix did on that big stage. And, uh, yeah, I think the it, it won't be the end of Colorado and all the people watching, but I think it's uh, getting towards that way. Are you are you excited to watch that game? Because I yes. You are, because I, I haven't. It's not that I'm not excited to watch the game. Like I was way more excited to watch the Oregon Colorado. Game. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was more into that. But I'm interested in this one for a different reason. I'm interested to see USC, and I want to see how they compare to Oregon. Yeah. So I, I get it's a road game, but I just want to see like does USC 
have just as e- an easy time against Colorado. Uh, can I, you know? Can I get a glimpse of what USC Oregon might look like later in the year? Uh, next game. This is a hard one. Arizona State's at Cal. Twelve o'clock on the Pac-12 Network. Get this. Cal is an eleven and a half point favorite right now. I am struggling with this game right now. I want to lean towards taking Arizona State in 11 and a half just because I don't know if Cal can score. Like, Cal got to score 24? You know, can Arizona State get in the end zone? Can they score 10? Can they score 14? Like, if they can, I think they can cover. I would pick Cal to win because they are a home favorite, and home favorites win in the Pac-12. But Arizona State in 11 and a half? That's my lean right now. I actually feel good about this one. I like Cal to lay the points. Shockingly, in that 59-32 loss to Washington, John, Cal had 502 yards. It wasn't as if they couldn't move the football. They had some mistakes. They threw, a, you know, uh, I believe they threw a pick six. They threw three interceptions. Quarterback got hurt. I don't think Cal is as bad as that score indicated. It probably should have been a little bit closer. I think Cal is much better than Arizona State. Arizona State, man, they let it all on the field against USC. I think Cal wins this game by at least two touchdowns, maybe even the 20s. It's a lean. I, I, I'm allowed to change my uh, vote tomorrow. Oregon's at Stanford, 330 on the Pac-12 networks. Oregon is a 27.5-point favorite over Stanford. I don't think Stanford can get to 14 in this game. So I think they're at 7 and maybe 0. And... You know, let's just say they get to 14. I'm now saying, can Oregon get to 42? I think they can on Stanford. I will take Oregon to cover the 27 and a half. Yeah, I'm leaning Oregon in this one. Stanford, you know, close game last week against Arizona, but you know, only scoring 20 points against Arizona. I, I, I think you're right. Can they get to 14? Even if they do, I think Oregon st- can still cover that score. Uh, so I'll take Oregon and I'll lay the points. I think the more likely score is something like 41-7, but... You know, let's see what happens. I mean, a 42-14, and it's still a cover. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I see that. I can see that. Washington is at Arizona, 7 o'clock, Pac-12 Network's final game of the weekend. Washington is a 17.5-point favorite. Total is 67.5. It's the only night game of the week. It's going to be riveting. Uh, Jaden Delora is questionable for Arizona. He had an ankle injury last week. If he can't play, it'll be Washington's edge rushers going after a backup quarterback. Washington is a 17-and-a-half-point road favorite. I have done well picking Washington and laying the points. I'm going to stay with it. The trend is my friend. Uh, I agree with you on this one because Jaden Dolores, since he's been at Arizona, he's had some big wins, but I feel like in these big games, when he plays great competition, he struggles. Mississippi State earlier this year, four picks he threw. Um, I think Washington's the best team in the conference. I think they keep rolling. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's you know, remember last year, Washington lost at Arizona State late in the year. I want to see how Washington performs in this game on the road in a game you should win. But, yeah, I'll take Washington to lay the points. All right, so tomorrow we'll lock these in. Friday we'll give our final answers. But that's where we're leaning right now. Uh, was there a game? For to me, the, the game that I had the hardest time with is that Cal-Arizona State game. I'm really wrestling with that game. The other one's not as hard. But the game I feel the best about, oddly, is USC covering 21-and-a-half at Colorado. Yeah, I like that one, and I like the Cal one. You're, you're questioning it. I like Cal minus the points in that one. The one that I question is the Utah-Oregon State. I, I've been more down on Utah all year, but... 
I feel like I'm finally buying in, but then I could look stupid because Oregon State wins at home <laughs> every single game, John. Like, why would I question this? We've seen the Research Stadium effect. They may just go in and win this game 21-10 to 10 or 21-14. That's definitely possible, low scoring, but... I don't know. I, I believe in Utah a little bit right now. I'm down in Oregon State, but I feel I don't know, man. I'm I'm going back and forth in that one. I I just wonder if this is the game. This is the game for Cam Rising, right? And 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 also, is it the game where Jonathan Smith came on the show yesterday and he talked about possibly playing Aiden Childs a little bit? He didn't close the door when I said, "Hey, would you play him here? Would you play him there?" It left me thinking last night as I was kind of digesting the interview. I kind of was thinking. Could they play Aiden Childs here a little bit more than usual? Would it be the right move against a really good Utah defense, or would it be a disastrous move? I don't know. We'll talk more about it. Uh, on tomorrow's show, we will have an Oregon assistant coach who will be joining us fresh off the practice field. We'll have a uh, update on that on social media. Also on Friday, Sean Merriman, former NFL linebacker, He's going to be joining us. Uh, we'll talk some football with him, Coach Prime, and, and, uh, and other stuff. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.